la 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 la. Okay, yeah, we're recording again. That's the that's the theme tune. The theme, yeah. Okay, just you know, for a good twenty seconds, I want I want us to sing now. Yeah. La la la. La la la. La la la. Radio Free Go Go. Hello. Uh, this is our first show, so... Uh, bear uh, with us, please. Bear with us. Welcome. I mean, obviously we nailed the theme tune. <laughs> yes. So, check that off the list. Uh, please, come and, come and have a seat and join us. The illustrious Al Cummins and I have a friendship heavily based in talking a lot about things. Usually excitedly and on tangents. So, uh, it became... Uh, a thought of maybe exploring this uh, organically and, and having a few records of some of these talks and giving ourselves a few prompts of which will all be noted. It's important to know that all of this will be transcripted and annotated on the blog website, which will be uh, radiofreegolgotha.com. Mm-hmm. And there are a dozen topics of which we might hit, might not hit. Right. But the idea is, is that it gives us a kind of loose course to follow. Yeah, we can reference, oh yeah, 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 that, that chapter of such and such, mm-hmm. and then go on with the point we're making rather than get waylaid too much in explaining the, the entire book or, or, or chapter or author or something. So, the, you know, because we want to produce a, a podcast with footnotes. Yes. And so we may, from time to time, forego explaining things uh, in, in detail that we're referencing, but the idea is is that if we reference a book or a, a, a spirit or a, a deity, that that will always be documented in mm-hmm. on the website and with further reading possibilities and, and Amazon links and whatever it is. Yeah, uh, that said, I think it's also an awful lot of fun to start from real um, basic, well not basic, but first principle stuff when we're really looking hard at something because... That's normally when you can pull out a bunch of details that are already useful. So we have a couple of topics uh, today that we definitely hit on our big list of things that we'd like to talk about. And as a result, we kind of started from fairly brass tacks, foundational business. I mean, this episode is we're planning to, to put out for Epiphany. So most of the talk was around or sparked from the Three Kings. And I think we started from fairly much, if you don't know who they are, then that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've, we've talked through some of that stuff, but we hopefully we'll also be providing further reading and resources. Such is the intention. Yeah. It, it, the idea is, again, not to sound like know-it-alls, but really mm-hmm. keep the conversation flowing and organic and the thing that excites us to talk about. And hopefully we'll remember to speak slowly and, mm-hmm. and go from there. So this episode, this... Very special episode. <laughs> uh, uh, this first one is Radio Free Golgotha, brought to you by the Festival of Epiphany and the Three Kings, uh, by the mineral bloodstone, by the mineral and the plant heliotrope, by the demon bale, and by the geomantic figure Via. And you'll notice there's a few other topics that are listed around the episode header. We're not listing them now because this is recorded in post, and we didn't quite hit them. But <laughs> I think bacon got mentioned there, and uh, you know, there's to induce visions as a style of spell. But you'll see that we're we're really giving ourselves a a kind of a little map of the 
what we're hitting. And there's no limit on these episodes, how long they are. They might end up being two-part. Hmm. Um, we'll see how it goes. But we, we hope to be doing this regularly and uh, invite questions and, and rants and raves. And, and, and friends. And friends, absolutely. The conversation is not meant to be exclusive, but rather give everybody materials. The number of things I have to read to catch up to Al sometimes, believe me, we are constantly educating each other, constantly challenging each other hmm. to to be able to discuss concepts, to, to look at the distilled essences of spirit contact or conjuration, right. and in our respective practices, some of which overlap and, and some of which don't. And our friendship and the flow between it is, is heavily in this tree. So these, these points are seeds from which something grows. Yeah. And so thank you for bearing with us as we, as we birth this first episode. And we will be back after it's all done to close out. Happy New Year to everyone. Happy Holidays. So Three Kings. Yeah. It's a good place to, to start to say, well... We don't know that there are three of them necessarily. The scriptural foundation doesn't have three of them necessarily. It's just saying one of the Orthodox churches holds that there are 12. Mm-hmm, the Syrian church. Yeah, yeah. And they're not necessarily kings either. And then we're into all that kind of, oh, you know, magoi and how one's meant to say it. And I don't have the Greek pronunciation. The Greek pronunciation of a Persian word we right, 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 don't right. know how it was originally pronounced. It's already a, 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 a lone slash exotic word anyway. But what we can say is they're given kingship at some point, and they're given directionality, they're given, or they are considered to have origins, and their identities start to, and they have names, <laughs> eventually, and they start to develop these personalities, I suppose. There is a, you know, Wikipedia being the expert source that it is, it does have the Byzantine mosaic, uh, which is 6th century, which does depict three kings in Persian clothing, or at least three magi in Persian clothing, specifically with Phrygian caps, breeches, capes. No crown specifically, but it is interesting that at least by the 6th century, and there, there is, they come out of Alexandria, right? The, the descriptions of the names of the three kings come out of... Yeah, yeah, uh, that's what they reckon. Mm-hmm. What comes with it, too, is just, I mean, obviously the, the magi is the plural of, of the Latin and it's borrowed from the Greek and mm-hmm. all these other things coming on very directly tr- taken from Old Persian I think what's interesting about the Three Kings is that it is the it is Twelfth Night, it is the, the, the end of the Christmas season proper the end of the feasting um, the way that, that most of us celebrate in the West, it is the, the Twelve Nights of Christmas are done and it sees us into the calendrical New Year, which wasn't always New Year's, but it is something there, and there for me, it is uh, kind of the third nail. Always going back to three nails <laughs> of uh, the feast of Saint Lucy, followed by going up to Christmas, and then followed by three kings. So kind of being these days that are almost equidistant from this pivotal mm-hmm. birth of light. So the little girl that, that brings light that was the winter solstice at one point that shows us through the, the hope of the other side, mm-hmm. perhaps, and followed by the kings who follow light, literally follow the return of the sun, which is interesting. Following and following. Yeah, following <laughs> and following. And it, it, even the, the, when I was little, I was obsessed with um, the time travel notion that, uh, in Catholic theology that we celebrate Epiphany 
but it is most likely a year or two later that these kings visited Jesus. So he was never visited in the manger. But this is, I believe it was uh, the way we were taught in school, it was a Fran St. Francis himself who invented the creche tradition. So it's, uh, it's a way of teaching people the, the narrative that comes out of Luke and, and Matthew with the, the Magi support, but the nativity itself is in Luke only. But a way of illustrating these stories in, in static form and doing starting to do tableau vivant type of Christmas pageantry. But an interesting thing that the epiphany for this year is actually from last year's birth, and that the epiphany for next year is from this year's birth. And I, I was looking at these kind of couplets of looking to the past and looking to the future with every time you celebrate a holiday, and paralleling it to almost the Immaculate Conception, which in like one of the Catholic doctrines is talking about Jesus's merits on the cross actually allow for his mother to be born conceived without sin so right. it's like magic trying traveling jesus stopping original sin from entering the uterus of his grandmother right and and preserving his mother's sanctity mm -hmm. which is it's really fun to think about when you're a sci-fi obsessed little full catholic uh, <laughs> nerd. yeah so the names themselves right generally casper melchior and balthazar i get that yeah it's the right order for cmb mm -hmm. which is also the christ bless this house in the Latin. And we see the most variation with Casper or Gaspar or Jasper or Casper with a K or Jasper uh, occasionally as well or Gaspard in the French. Uh, but we saw some, well, there, were, there were a couple of interesting variations on Balthazar that sounded mainly like Balthazar as well, although one that was like Patisar, which I like from a 12th century text. Bithisarea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. exactly. And the purported origins of them, too, is always interesting, too, because they, the the kind of popular notion now, we take for granted that there's three, mm -hmm. and take for granted that they obviously are kings of different countries, that Melchior is Persian, and Gaspar is Indian, and Balthazar is Babylonian, but these change, and the, the popular notion, at least in, like, Iberian tradition of putting them towards continents, so that you have a European king, an African king, and an Asian king all converging in the Middle East, which they must have really good carrier pigeons or something <laughs> as to why. And there are a bunch of popular stories, too, about meeting them, them meeting each other on the roads, and it's like, well, how, where were they looking if they were this expert in following a star? Right. And it was going them to the middle of where all three of them were from, but somehow they met each other on the road mm -hmm. and got there, which is always the, the side of it, too. Was it Balthazar? Balthazar is traditionally depicted with dark skin mm. in, in Western Europe, uh, especially in Spanish tradition, mm. as a Moorish king, an Arab king. And there are traditions as to, different local traditions as to who's on a camel, who's walking their camel, who's on a litter sometimes, mm. um, things like that. And the display of, of each continent's wealth as to what it is. And what's interesting about that is, that is still, you're talking about frankincense and myrrh, which are Levant, Levantine, and African right. Sinai Peninsula type of Saudi Arabia origin at best. This is Middle East going down into Central Africa, not as common Asian or European. Yeah, I think I read that. That was one of the descriptions for, for why African, because Sudanese. Mm -hmm. I think that's Sudanese myrrh? Yeah. Yeah. Which I like the idea of trying to trace back where the things are from. Because those—that's the most the, the gifts are the most definite thing that. Are, it's the only thing we have, right? right, right, right that they're right. magi and that they gave gifts. Right. But it's interesting that the folk traditions around them also are fascinating because it, it is the it is the culmination of, of the Christmas season. It's the twelve days of Christmas. This mm -hmm. is what is the twelfth day? It's not twelve swans, is it? 
all these drumming. Twelve drummers drumming. So twelve days of Christmas. The idea that the star itself, which many people talk about as uh, planetary alignment between the three male planets, Saturn, Mars, Jupiter, to some saying a specific comet that was possibly around 4 BC to all these other things that are kind of doing a very pseudo-scientific, like let's put a materialism upon this. Right. Very a euhemerism. Yeah. yeah there, there, there has to be some kind of reasonable version of an explanation that gets later mythologized. What I find interesting is that, okay, European ideas of gift-giving was, was stretching from St. Nicholas, which is December 6th, which is very early, and then January 6th is when many Hispanic traditions give the gifts in yeah. the three kings. Yeah, let's talk about um, Los Tres Reyes. Yes, Los Tres Reyes are, is the... Christmas itself is holy. Christmas itself is, is mass and food. Mm-hmm. You know, some good meat for the first time in a while. For me, it was always pozole and enchiladas and, and pork again. He ate pork. But uh, Tres Reyes is, is traditionally the the time when you're giving gifts to people. And it's it's small gifts, too, because it's not... You don't do huge gifts, but it is the time because the three kings bring it. And so you get the people that are dressing up like kings. Oftentimes children dress up like kings, and you get paper crowns. King cake is made in, in many different ethnicities and countries of of what that is and can have a, a baby Jesus in it that represents luck that could be a bean. Mm-hmm. It might actually be a small baby Jesus. Um, the ones that uh, I'm familiar with from Mexico could have everything from just a small baby to three different colored beans representing the three different kings, red, black, and white beans, and the baby in there as well. And that it, it kind of, those things could be used as divinatory portents of the, of the coming year for you. Mm-hmm. But definitely getting baby Jesus and not chipping your tooth on him was, was a good thing. Um, I just think it's interesting because uh, there's a, a Mexican tradition of dressing baby Jesus up every month because you always have a baby Jesus in your house. Hmm. And um, even during Easter, which is exceptionally creepy to me. <laughs> it's not like he gets bunny ears. He gets like risen Christ and like oh. they put drops of blood on his little hands and feet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is... The dressing him like the three kings and putting little vials of frankincense, gold, and myrrh and, and burning incense by him constantly. And he doesn't get changed again until Candlemas when he's dressed up like the Candlemas virgin and the candles are put near him. Mm. He's given shoes then too a lot of times, little sandals. But the three kings themselves, he's still an infant. He's still recognized as an infant, which, again, it doesn't matter if historically there's this time-traveling thing or like that it's a year later, is that mm. everybody's going to perceive of it as, oh, they were there in the manger. And right. that's what it is. The tradition in... Latin America of putting hay out for the camels <laughs> on the night of the 5th um, in inner city uh, stuff it, when you couldn't get hay it was just random grass yeah. and leaves from whatever you could get and like and it's in a box under the bed yeah that's that's very uh, Central American a lot of a lot of times it was uh, outside the front door or by the water mm-hmm. um, so if there was a hose in your house like you know, on the front yard or something like that mm-hmm. you would put the because obviously the camels had a drink and like mm-hmm. you put a bucket full of water and and put so we always tried to give them Reese's peanut butter cups for some reason camels like peanut butter in our heads um, and I know that the zoo even put cashed in on that I don't want to say cashed in because it's probably a, a connotation that I don't need but uh, you know there, there were camel rides so of course during that time it was like oh ride on the Magi's camels it'll be so great and like you could go and feed the camel and like you got your good deed of like I fed a camel somewhere so I can go back and and because it, in, and in truth there's all I think oh, I wish I could remember the song 
there's some song about not pissing off the Magi's camels because camels <laughs> have a reputation for being oh yeah they're nasty horrible right <laughs> and you know the only way you can satiate them is by giving them your clothes to chew and like destroy and then they'll feel like they've killed you and then they'll move on with life huh. but, like they'll stalk you and they'll come after you right and, yeah, like, yeah they, long we, memories yeah, yeah so and it's, uh, uh, long range spitting yeah yeah so it's uh all those things of placating the camels to make sure that the agents of whoever's going to give you your gifts has a way. Also, the parades that are done of, of having the, the cavalcades coming from the other cavalcades, but mm. um, coming through and having other people dressed up as like deputies and sub lieutenants and pages <laughs> of, of the kings themselves <laughs> and throwing candy at you and all these things because the kings couldn't possibly do it all themselves. Oh. Which we always used to discuss with people about like. Sub Santas too. I remember talking about that in school. That, like there was all the Santas work for the real Santa. Yeah. And similar types of things. So like the three kings that were hired were the highest in the in the hierarchy mm-hmm. of this parade, and yet the pages were the ones that actually handed you the mm-hmm. the candy, which is a nice metaphor for how spirits seem to be working. Yeah. At a later point. And the fact that it's a parade as well underlies that sense of the march, the uh, the romantic lays, the sense of the the procession. Mm-hmm. Of spirits, whether that's the lights of the souls going to or from the the graveyard, or the the hunting party going into the forest, mm-hmm. or a you know a triumphant return, and the the pageantry of that, yeah, that's very interesting. I think it's also worth looking at the escape into Egypt and the slaughter of the innocents that that happens right afterwards too. That the the three kings, by going to Herod, assuming that he would know where Jesus was as, as a king inadvertently caused the slaughter of the every boy under two years old in the greater kingdom, which is it's just, it's a huge thing. And, you know, this is this is as its own feast day that is separate from three kings. Um, was it the 29th of December? I think so. I'm going to sound like an idiot now. But I believe it is the 29th. Should have done better research, Al. <laughs> Should have done better research instead of relying on my memory for everything. Um... But yeah, Matthew 2:16 through 18. Uh, when the Magi had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Um, again, Matthew fulfilling scripture, scriptural reference constantly. Mm. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Uh, when it was said through the prophet Jeremiah, was fulfilled, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Mm. So it's interesting that even the, the Matthew... Um, refers to specifically in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi that they do come later, that they they wait till after Jesus is born. In fact, according to some traditions, so it's uh, mm-hmm. the star isn't. Uh, it's kind of creepy, right? If the star is just following above Jesus's head the entire time, wherever <laughs> wherever baby goes. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to. How do you wipe the butt of Jesus or breastfeed comfortably with the star of Bethlehem? Yeah, mm. there's a there's a lot of. Um, Spanish witchcraft that goes around the, the slaughter of the innocents too and just what you can do during that time period and all those things and I don't necessarily get into all those things right now but that uh, replacing or putting sand in the holy water on that day which is something you typically do during Lent 
and the, the kind of wet mass that forms from that and adding the communion wafer and all these other lovely heretical things, traditional recipes for that from, from uh, the southwest of the United States that are, have a very Spanish feel to them. Hmm. But using that for uh, pseudo-salve to cause uh, miscarriage. Mm. And things like that, which also it's used for property, season property, because you're it's firstborn males. It's males in general, so it's it's not quite the firstborn, but it's the idea of getting rid of the inheritors, yeah, so that you can then marry into the family mm-hmm. by marrying a daughter. So this the holy innocence we're prayed to, specifically as a way of uh, garnering your favor towards inheriting a rich person's property through marrying their daughters. Mm-hmm. Your sons survived, so right. You go after the girls. Operationalizing an attack on primogeniture. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, they're very opportunistic. There's somebody that's thinking about this really deeply. The other side of it is that holy innocents are prayed to for children too. So, so you still have the opposite, the idea of all these dead children um, will help you conceive because they themselves were denied life. And, right. Um, that Catholic theology going back and forth as to what it is that these are some of the souls that are let out right, at right. Jesus's. You've, so you got various purgatorial souls mm-hmm. depicted as that, uh, as kids. That limbo itself is going to be especially sacred to them, and and the that Jesus when he comes out of hell on Easter is in part leading a parade, followed by the the holy innocents, mm-hmm. which are directly a result of him. Not necessarily. So it's like he, he's taking care of those things that were changed by him first. Uh, and the other things that I didn't know about Spanish and Iberian Three Kings is that there are distinct drinks that are given to each of the three of them yes. as well. You were yes. talking about that earlier. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in, in L.A. it wasn't uncommon to... I mean, horchata was such a common thing. Um, I think it's because it doesn't spoil the way a milk product would right away. Um, but horchata could be made from, from rice or from almond. Depends on where you are and, and how much money you have. That it was colored to each king so that for the Asian king you would put a lot of cinnamon in and that for the African king you would put a lot of chocolate in and for the European king you would you would put more, a little more sugar but it was still very plain yeah it sounds kind of like the some of the hoodoo stuff around different sugars and sweetening yeah yeah you can also see um different types of coffee from what I remember too that um coffee black, coffee light and sweet, coffee sweet. Right. Have the different offerings or just putting out coffee or putting out water. It's almost like the Buddhist and Hindu notion of water to wash and water to drink that you made sure that there was a wash basin with water as mm-hmm. well as water to refresh oneself drink-wise, hydration-wise. Hmm. And I did find it interesting, you know, that, like like you were saying, looking at art history things of the shapes of certain offering containers and like mm. there seems to be a you know there's a globular one a round one there's some type of chest chest there's um a flask and you know what are the what are the things that carry gold frankincense and myrrh in that time period that a chest itself was is the gold thing right. and that, that these other things have their origin in different regional containers of what was sold mm-hmm. which is interesting mm. in a way of depicting the the container of the thing Mm-hmm. Uh, as demonstrative of the thing is interesting. I also think it's interesting that, you know, Twelfth Night or used to be a bigger thing. Used to be a much bigger thing. And Epiphany is still very important for, for people following kind of an Orthodox Christianity. By that I am including traditional Catholicism and, and even modern Catholicism to a certain extent. But part of that is because Advent itself is a period of fasting not that different from Lent. So, you know, if you're going to break the fast, you might as well have a series of celebrations that, right. that last quite some time before we go back into ordinary times that you can have meat and do all those things and have sex again and all these um, lovely indulgences in, in, in the flesh. 
You want to talk about some folk magics related to them? Hmm. My experience has been going through... It, it crops up in some of the Grimoric stuff that they're associated with uh, travel, with the, the various means of easing travel, or the, the garters uh, that one creates, or the ribbons that mm-hmm. one ties round one's legs so that you can go great distances without fatigue. What's that, what's that old D&D magical item? The nine... I want to say nine gallon boots. I don't mean that. Uh, nine nine leap boots. Yeah, yeah nine, nine leap boots. boots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just used in a lot of. I was like, I don't know D and D, but I know fantasy novels. Right, right, yeah. right. I uh-huh. think it's a it's a Shakespeare reference anyway. Um, I don't think what? Gygax How made I know that, that up. I mean, I'm, I could be wrong there. Footnote that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and even starting with the kind of most ubiquitous, ubiquitous. Oh, I can speak. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which was already mentioned that the chalking of the of the door or the lentil that is Christus Mansionum Benedicat. Right, right, right. Yes, mm-hmm. that was some good memory there. Okay, <laughs> and the the form that has become the most standard of of starting off with the first two numerals of the year. Mm-hmm. So going into 2017 would be 20, then a cross, then a C, then a cross, then an M, then a cross, then a B, then a cross, then 17. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of different forms of this online that you can find as to what prayers to say. There, there's some that are very much based on the the kind of daily prayers and cycles of liturgy, the hours that are kind of that's what you do during this time period on this day, and the chalk itself, blessing the chalk, which is a is a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's one of the first things that I can remember friends asking what it was and then understanding that you were blessing the chalk and how Catholic in action that is and then you see the parallel in grimoires mm. and this like everything must be consecrated to its use and named mm. you know whether it's loving God bless this chalk or I name you creature of chalk there's still going to be some emphasis on like let me align my tools to the purpose before it starts yeah. so that the, the grace flows correctly but past that I mean it can be as simple as you know, just chalk in the door. Right, right, right. <laughs> Does not need to be done by a priest, which is always fun. So you get the, the Christus Mansionem Benedicat as Gaspar Melchior and Balthazar's initials. In some areas, this does become KMB. And I've even seen KBM, which is just the memory of the, of the names of the kings, right. as opposed to the Latin itself that mm. is used to kind of justify saying it as well it's, yeah it, it, it clearly looks like a, an extra layer of you know some some christian apologist being like no 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 there's 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 some jesus in this and the fact that it's the k is from casper spelled with a k and german speaking regions so it's clearly a, an appeal to the the magi first but yeah i i can, I can think i can see that i guess there's part of me that wants to think that like the the glutinating nature of folk magic is just so much like it's this and it's this. It's amazing. Right, right, right. Like, right. let's do both things and then we cover all our bases. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, the cult of the three kings itself is, is not is not universal, but, but the reason it's so prominent in the the Western Hemisphere and, and Western Europe is because of the, the German cult at, at Köln. At, how do you? Köln? Köln. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and this memory that, oh yeah, Spain and Germany were one empire at some point. And uh, the, the cult spreads from there. So KMB, KBM, CBM, all that stuff starts to be kind of Charlemagne out and it goes bigger <laughs> from there. Right. Um, and that, col- uh, that, that Cologne, Cologne, uh, Cologne, I've even seen it as Cullen in, uh, yeah. in more Grimoric stuff, is, is, is the little telltale sign often, it seems. There's a good couple of examples of that in various bits and pieces. Certainly, there's kings of Colin. They crop up uh, in more direct appeal. There's uh, 
a particular one in uh, Sloan Manuscript 3851, which is the, the grimoire of Arthur Gauntlet that uh, Avalonia put out relatively, I guess it wasn't that recent, it was like maybe maybe two, three years ago. But it's uh, it's interesting because it's one of the experiments to summon an unclean spirit who turns up in, say, the offices of the, the spirits as uh, Bealfaras or Balfaras, mm-hmm. Balfaras outside of a spirit list so it's one of the one-offs it's the the solo projects it's go to a place and do a bunch of stuff and call this particular spirit who also crops up there who also crops up in these other lists so it's an interesting example of you know less of a got to catch them all attitude and more of a like work with what's there and and in that one you do all your abstaining stuff you you, you live well it has garters interestingly i'd forgotten about that you're meant to have a dry thong of a lion or heart skin and make thereof a girdle girdle sorry not a not not garter well, I'm kind of laughing at the, well. the heart skin or a lion you know yeah. always a lion <laughs> whichever yeah however whatever works for you and a bunch of other things as well and then a bunch of prayers uh, a bunch of psalms including psalm 22 which this version of it is is very much that kind of confessorial mm-hmm. uh, oh i've done all this bad stuff and then you say psalm 51 the you know to, to purify you say that three times and then pretty much directly after that there's uh, an appeal to the three kings of colin in this case jasper melchior and balthazar and what I like about it is that it also assigns specific gifts to them. So in, in this 17th century English working book of a, a cunning man, it's attributed that Jasper brings myrrh, Melchior brings incense, frankincense, and Balthazar brings the gold. And they are appealed to before a bunch of other appeals. Well, no, sorry, that's, that's basically it. And then Jebus, mm-hmm. and then Mary. And Mary is Queen of Heaven and Empress of Hell which I really liked, mm. which then goes into also a bunch of appeals to elemental kings as well. And then a bunch more prayers, and then the conjuration of Belfaras, then the bond, and then when he's bound, and then the license to depart. So it's like, it's very much, you know, demonstrative of, of a particular operating style, and it's nice that they pop up in there. That's, that's very interesting to me, this notion of appealing to kings to move kings mm-hmm. uh, and also the idea of appealing to magi and and, and appealing to dead magicians mm-hmm. and dead slightly elevated magicians or those who are sanctified by being involved in one of the stories of Jesus mm-hmm. as a yeah as a way of stabilizing one's work and that makes a lot of sense to me yeah it's uh, there's a there's a tradition of art history too of assigning the gifts to specific kings and even depictions uh, you know we discussed yeah, Balthazar being almost always depicted as the youngest and the darkest. Mm-hmm. A lot of attributions put him to Saba, to Yemen, mm-hmm. but could easily be Sudanese, Ethiopian, because of the myrrh trade itself, and that Gaspar is old, white, with a long beard, mm-hmm. and gives gold. Mm-hmm. And it, it's also because if there is a non-Asian, non-African king, gold is the resource he can bring out of those two things, unless he's traded heavily. Kind of practicality mindset, but he's always depicted with a beard which I find very interesting, Gaspar specifically. And I think oftentimes uh, related to Tyre somehow, or Tarsus, but the two cities, Tyre and, oh. and, and to Tarsus, because Tarsus is a land of merchants in the art history references. So it's some Turkish. And uh, is the first to kneel, is the other thing. Yes. So, so Gaspar is the first to kneel, which has this whole weight behind it of like, okay, so you put the European king mm-hmm. that's going to, to kneel first, which is, which is an interesting thing. And then to have Melchior, who is 
middle-aged and giving frankincense, but he's the Arabian. Right. So it's just different ideas about what these different things are. There's no static, there's no fixed belief, but when one artist does it, then another artist kind of builds on that, and the shapes of the boxes start saying the same, and like, Gaspar, oh, he must have, because you know, you've seen that from an early age, it's kind of like seeing the movie before you read the text. Right, right. Of, like, that's who you see now. Hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. When we went and looked at the outrageous uh, Christmas lights displays down in the uh, Diker Heights uh, in Brooklyn, uh, one of the things that was interesting was uh, all of the in all of these nativity scenes, some of them with like life-size statues, these things are like ridiculous. The the displays, maybe footnote some some pictures of, of it because it's it's insane. There's like there's like a giant Santa head that looked like the head from Zardos. Like I was expecting it to start <laughs> vomiting guns at a, a bithonged Sean Connery. Uh, Christmas, you know, red and white guns, obviously to stay festive. But uh, one of the things that was interesting was that the yeah, the the three kings when they were there, were, one of them was always kneeling. Mm-hmm. The same one was always kneeling, and one was always like leaning over him. Even when they're three different, they were always arranged like that as well, yeah. which I find interesting. So there are postures. Yes. Uh, the, uh, for for each of them. Because they have to approach him on bent knee, falling down before him. Right, right, because right. Because of the psalm, and then the m- the memory too of uh, of what the gifts mean. You know, you're taught in CCD. Yes, there are always a funerary reference and things like that. But it was uh, origin says specifically uh, gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who was mortal, and incense as to a god. Hmm. And, you know, there's different interpretations of these things, of course, but, you know, gold symbolizing virtue, frankincense symbolizing prayer, and myrrh symbolizing suffering. Hmm. And the, the, the Greek, the coin Greek words are, are pretty, we know what they are. They are. They're not, there is some debate as to what myrrh actually is, that what we call sweet myrrh, which is uh, Poponax. Hmm might actually be the myrrh that was more common in certain times mm. um, during trade. So it, there's some debate as to that in the same so way that, like... There's a little bit of debate, but it's not like Aesop and his no, exactly. where we're pretty sure it's definitely not this thing. Yeah, and similarly, right. it, it becomes this term, like, in Latin America, copal, just meaning tree resin and right. having a certain fragrant piney scent mm-hmm. that incense itself gets its name from frankincense and, and, and it just becomes tree resin that's clear versus tree resin that's dark, and so you get... Light colored, dark colored. So if frankincense is representing prayer and it's light colored, you're obviously playing on this kind of Indo-European memory of, or I'm gonna say obviously in my head of, <laughs> of the the light being the sky realm and the dark automatically invoking the depths of the earth. Right. So there's this aromatic type of thing going mm-hmm. on, and the gold, which is the the, the realm of the earth itself, mm-hmm. the king. So you get all three realms in there, which is very interesting too. That's fascinating um, how the, the substitutions work for oils and incenses uh, mm. attributed to them as well so it, with the oils yeah it's either actually gold in there or pyrite mm-hmm. which you know is fairly straightforward but you know you can't necessarily put gold flakes in an incense and that's interesting what ends up happening there is usually benzoin mm-hmm. in most of the recipes I've seen uh, along with uh, frankincense and myrrh but occasionally sandalwood which I find fascinating because I always think of sandalwood as being you know Malkut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very, it's very of the earth and mm-hmm. of the land of the earth. And it's rose is not uncommon either. Oh, really? So especially adding rose oil, rose mm-hmm. attar, mm-hmm. which is extremely expensive and right. process-driven, but the rose being the most precious flower mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and also symbolizing the wounds. Mm-hmm. So there is this memory of it being a, a kingly mm-hmm. thing in that way. But I think a lot of the, the church blends also having floral scents in there, which, of course, anytime you get flowers, you're masking stench. Mm-hmm. So... There's the, the funerary traditions of those things. 
certainly the different the different myths in, in regional parts of I mean Spain is what I'm familiar with, but you know the the, the drops of blood of different saints form different types of roses, and, and right, drops right. of blood from Jesus himself form like wild rose and like these other things of just like this is where it comes from and mm-hmm. the apple itself is a type of rose which is also acknowledged and this whole other thing mm-hmm. like we can tell this playing on the fruit in Latin being mm-hmm. malus and, and yeah, yeah. now being named because of Latin and before that being from, any yeah. number of things but I like quince as the evil fruit so much more it's such an unsuspecting little fruit <laughs> yeah What's, is it, isn't it quince that's a kind of bale fruit Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just it, quince is such a in for a lot of the medieval gardens because apple requires a very specific temperament to to temperature range to grow in and and, and free, has to freeze in the winter and all these other things. But quince was chosen as the flowering tree of life in the center of the mm. medieval gardens quite a bit, as was in a, similar to pear mm. or plum or regional, just like something sweet and truly fleshy when you bite into it as opposed to hard like an apple mm. that an apple was more about the alcohol that came from it and these other things in the native cultures and what good for watching squirrels get drunk right um, crab <laughs> apples the coming of the magi in that way and and the magic that the traveling that there are um quite a bit of traveler prayers that are similar to uh what would be uh saint christopher type of patronage right. or even St. Michael mm-hmm. in some periods of, of protection from thieves and and, and and wounds while traveling that to seek the patronage of the of the three kings uh, protected you on journeys where you had a, a mission that it wasn't just tourist right um, whereas Christopher tends to, to protect you blanketly when you travel mm-hmm. but the kings were your patronage at all times when you were just you were trying to do right you're trying to get by in life bless my house bless these things like i get it it's gonna be hard Mm -hmm. i'm gonna cause the slaughter of a few thousand babies occasionally (laughs) um and and it's so unfair to put that on them (laughs) but like (laughs) it's totally their fault it's um yeah well i mean then you can follow like the orthodox model and just say there's 12 of them so they get a little bit less of the blame (laughs) one twelve instead of one third um yeah it's each other blame by fourth it's really they crop up in a series of the, I think it's the in the Black Dragon. They crop up in terms of, again, in terms of those drawing, uh, or painting their names, writing their names on ribbons and winding them around the, you know, again the, the garter thing. Also with the early Turley and Furley, the three the three uh, spirit names. Uh-huh. And, and there's all those customs of going to a pub and ordering drinks or throwing the drinks or coins under the table and yeah. telling those spirits to go and sort you out. Uh-huh. So I, I like it as this sense of not just, you know, when you're on the road, when you're on pilgrimage, but mm-hmm. also how to protect your, you know, the tavern and the inn become mm-hmm. these spaces that you go and uh, consort with spirits to help you do this stuff. Oh yeah, so it's a whole other crossroads, but, but a long period where you don't have to stand in the middle of the road, which right. is fascinating to understand, you know, through, through kingdoms and that type of thing that we talk about in other ways. Mm. That's very interesting. And also just the, the, you know, I never even thought about that until you said it right now, that, okay, Jesus is born in a manger that belongs to an inn. So there is the census happening. So there's a convergence already happening. There's a crossroads of the people mm-hmm. um, during the census taking that must be happening. And then they go to an inn, because, and it's they're cast out. There's no room at this intersection because so much is happening. They finally find extra room, which is now an intersection of not only of everyone coming and the, the crossroads nature of a tavern or a, an inn itself, but now you have beast and man mm-hmm. um, in a manger mm-hmm. where it's an interesting thing and being put in the thing that feeds people. Um, is is very interesting being put in winding sheets and things like that, where mm-hmm. funeral references as well as nativity references of the symbolism is is uh, that's the great thing about mysteries, I suppose, right? It just it keeps unfolding, right? 
There's a, oh, you were showing me once, there's a Sator Square that has yeah, names yeah. of the kings around it. Yeah, it's in, um, it's in the, the, uh, VB, the Folger. VB, Shakespeare Library, Folger, VB 26, uh, recently published as the Book of Oberon, uh, which, is, uh, if, yeah, I, I can only uh, and enthusiastically recommend, if you're at all interested in early modern magics. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's, a, it's a, a pentacle seal, so it's a, 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 you know, in a collection of talismans, and it's a classic circular one, and it comes along with some of those stave ones that we find in Reginald Scott that I'm, I'm so much a fan of. <laughs> it's literally just the Sato Arepo square with the letters in the English, Latin, Romanic script, and then Jasper, Balthazar, Jasper, Melchior around the, the four sides of the the square inside the circle and it's to be carried with you and you will be delivered from all fear and against shot to be further off so i wonder if that's that sense of like things that are far away coming at you Mm -hmm. like i I wonder if that's what the the sense of rather than you traveling and avoiding danger Mm -hmm. you avoiding traveling danger Mm -hmm. danger that is traveling at you it's it's interesting that jasper is mentioned twice in that to me still of like why is he the one that's mentioned twice mm. and like okay he's the one that's on bended knee he's mm-hmm. the European king he's the one bearing gold mm. kingship and if it, I'm, I'm trying to understand all the possible reasons of right. course this is the, one of those things where like I'm just theorizing there is no yeah, basis yeah. in this but I like the idea of if gold represents the earth itself that where you're asking for this charm to be effective is in the earth mm. and if Gasper is the is the Jasper is the king that brings gold and kneels. It's he's on the earth automatically. It's, just, it's reinforcing this kind of earth symbolism with this specific king. Right, right, right. And I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, if he's bearing gold, he's also you know a, the king of the kings. Yeah. So uh, it's 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 a Rex Mundi type of right, of, right, of right, thing right. of just like and the fact that it's a square in a circle. Mm-hmm. Always this you know the the, the mason in me kicks in. It's like <laughs> oh what does this mean? Which uh, there are. Plenty of esoteric Masonic references to the three candlesticks that surround the the central altar of Freemasonry, being referenced to the three kings. Oh, okay. Um, the great light itself, the blazing star, the, the light that comes from from the the square compass and Bible together right. is the great light. That the star of Bethlehem is the great light, and the three kings are showing convergence towards this light in the mm-hmm. center, which I find fascinating. And and you know they're not as universal a mask in syncretic traditions as much Mm. um there is some hints of that but definitely in in haiti for sure it's not as common in cuba but there is some who pair the three kings with gorinkoto who is the oh really kind of attachment to orisha oko Mm -hmm. which there's a lot of controversy as to whether or not this orisha as it is worshipped in cuba is an extension of the african Mm. spirit which is gori and and there's now it is proposed that it is the brother of Arisha Oko and it is digging these things by night and it's the grave digger and there's other people the African Kori is, is more about childbirth but is the the tools which you can see online I'm not giving anything away always a shooting star a fall you know a star that's that's guiding and even the the shells themselves and the horn that's attached to him are always this kind of pinpoint that's expanding stars that are falling mm-hmm. which I think is interesting too and that's a longer exploration for me of looking at how um, 
the seed of something, especially with childbirth, that the seed comes in, falls to the earth, and impregnates the earth with something mm. new. And this this metaphor for childbirth there, that's that's fascinating. Mm. And that all the shapes of the tools for Goringoto are echo this kind of falling thing towards the earth, the, the impregnation of the soil itself, which lines up very well for me with, mm. with the three kings and the birth right. phenomena and these this types of thing. It's interesting the syncretisms from Haiti of like, oh yeah, yeah, you use the three kings for for, for Simbi mm-hmm. or oh, Simbis. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah, because there are three main ones, right? You've got you've got Tlo and and Dezo and and Makaya, mm-hmm. the three kings. That's that 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 works really nicely. But it's 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 lithographs with the star. Yeah. It's not about them on the camel. It's about the star yeah. and the, the 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 deep mysteries of starlight in Vodou. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's interesting again that they also crop up for. Uh, the, the, the one of the more prevalent apparently syncretizations or masks is uh, is Saint Christopher again, mm-hmm. uh, having one foot in the water. Yeah. So two, and and, and that's that being of two waters. And the movement and the, the magician is the thing that carries that the magic is being carried. A priest would carry the weight of something. Mm-hmm. This holiness is now something to be a burden that you carry as well joyfully. Right. right. The movement of grace or ache. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, can reference esoteric masonry as, like, different forms of alchemical symbolism that come in. I certainly had a teacher that was obsessed with giving one of the three kings to each of the kingdoms hmm. of animal, plant, and mineral. And hmm. this becomes something interesting to have something that is animal, plant, mineral, that plants are, in fact, uh, almost more solar, and then minerals would be in the earth, and then animals would be on the plane of earth or you could do the opposite and do the kind of golden chain descent where right. animals would be on top then then plants then mm-hmm. minerals possibilities abound it's yeah. so hard for, I fight that golden chain so much it's just not my it's not a great model for looking at like no but it's a great imposition upon every other model <laughs> that, that is there I think that the chain of being too uh, quickly and too easily allows a slide into a crown of creation egotism, a uh, well, and, and and at the most fun part of it, a diablocentric worldview, of the, the which is the fascinating thing that this the, when you start to go into descent into matter as being lack of contact with God, it changes the perception of everything, and it also begs a hierarchy that can be rubbed in people's faces to promote a lot of different things. Hierarchy is, you know, there were there were not as many models around to talk about how things happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. A thousand, two thousand years ago. So you're going to draw on what you have to describe what you have. It's funny how we don't talk about, you know, the human mind as a machine until we have machines. Yeah. We, you know, need wax tablets to make the tabula rasa comparison. Yeah, like technology leads our way of modeling what's making the technology. <laughs> Very often, if we're talking specifically about consciousness or the philosophy of mind. So that means, yeah, it, it's a useful analogy, but to uh, confuse the metaphor for the the thing that it's metaphorizing isn't terribly useful. <laughs> the map for the territory right, and all these right. lovely Badrio references. Yeah. I find what's interesting about that, too, just the obsessions with hierarchy and these things that come in, this desire to simplify and create order, order up, KO type of thing, mm. of this is playing it on fall mythology, mm-hmm. the fall from the garden and, and the golden true iron age type of methodology or the Kali Yuga or whatever methodology, mm-hmm. long term descriptions, cosmologies and, and also the desire to, to, to refine is a later impulse right. that, that there's this and we talk about this all the time but that a, that a language that is incredibly complex we always talk about how 
linguistic-wise, that like caveman language is always depicted as extremely simple and lacking grammar, when in possibility those first few languages are probably extremely complex um, in order, if they were actually languages and then are refined over time through contact with other people and things keep on going. Obviously, it would have started with simple things, but you know the, the motivation of trade, capital, capitalism, I suppose, influencing language as much as, as conquering. And, and that type of thing is its own. Yeah, certainly trade, yeah. Um, well, then you're into the old arguments about where, I mean, if we move to writing from spoken language, you have the ongoing arguments about whether or not the first bits of things that could be called writing were for accountants or for diviners, yeah. like with the, with the tortoise shells, yeah. uh, and now in China and elsewhere. Uh, I see, you know, the astrology, astronomy in the hybrid roots of them that like all science and math is derived from trying to figure out where that planet is going and it, it is an observation tactic of recording is cataloging successes and failures and uh, accounts literally accounts and like you know the the stamp theories of of letters of making a small miniature cow head to stamping it in the thing and eventually realizing you could draw it and going on from there but mm. accountants are diviners and then everything is about the stars and language is complex yeah. um, summary of that I think it often boils down to, to reifying processes where I have a problem with, with golden chain models as well. Let's keep banging on about this. <laughs> but like, it is useful to have a flowchart of like, I, you know, I summon spirit, mm-hmm. then that spirit is finickety or points me at something else that I then move down or up or around hierarchies mm-hmm. or across things or have other spirits coming in that no one's heard of before or you know uh, ones that are all too well known and seem strange in that place but it's a process to reify that and the, to then say that that means that that is always the case mm-hmm. uh, regardless of moon phase or if someone else is doing it or place on the earth that they're doing it yeah. is daft and, and I think you can extend that conjuration thing into general practice it is very useful to have a conductor for an orchestra it is very useful to have a chair for a meeting <laughs> yeah. right these are useful things they are fulfilling a function they are mm-hmm. ruling by obeying in, yeah. in that uh that subcommon that Marcos sense like that that that's that's awesome that makes uh, so much sense to me but saying that the conductor is therefore closer to god <laughs> starts to look like fascism <laughs> um, to mince my words yeah there's there's no there's no background of, of thought about that for you and your family as well. Right? <laughs> no, no. Um, no, but we see the evidence for that. I see the evidence for that in practical approaches towards this, especially in Kimbanda, right, of a king is a king except when there's another king in the room and then what are those two kings doing when they're both in the room and that as someone who is has a, a temple or a, a space devoted to your working that your eshu is your king, mm. your personal eshu is your king and all other eshus come through the ages and permission of that spirit. And that does not mean that he is a king in rank amongst all eshus, but he is your king and right. therefore the one that will bring other spirits in for you. And in addition to that, there are eshus that are kings, that are commanders of extremely large legions mm. that within the, the ranks that Umbanda gave them that they are king in rank not just king in personal relationship. Right. And then the idea that there's kings of situations, that in a certain situation, if I, if I have to make a decision, I might appeal to this issue as a king of this specific thing, right. of this kingdom or this circumstance. And so the notion of what a king is, and then adding into it the whole pagan baptized crown thing adds a relationship as to whether or not that, that king actually has a crown or that that issue has, is is kinged, is right. crowned so you in have, that way. Yeah. King me in checkers type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Behavioral stuff going so there's, on. So there's a lot more than just, oh, this is, this is an agent. And then looking at that too in the way that, 
many people that have worked the 72 form an alliance with a king. Mm. And then that king tells you which of the others you should be dealing with because they're more stable. The sun is more stable. And this is not necessarily to say that I'm going to go off the complete planetary descriptions that I think. No, but, but, the, but the notion of kings and suns goes yes. back way further. Yes, than, because some of those kings are equally lunar. Right. And, I mean, come on, Baal is like, you can tell me he's the sun all you want, but it's still there's <laughs> horned going to be an issue there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to, to deny payment of Venusian influence would be ridiculous um, and mercurial at that. So it's one of those things. And I guess there's this part of it, too, is like when you work with the spirit, whether it's a saint or a devil or a demon, a god, that that thing becomes all things for you. Right. And it just, you see all the possibilities in it, just going back to, you could work the three kings as everything and get all of your answers through them. And then if that's that's what you're working with, especially in ancient not ancient, but uh, medieval Cullen, uh, Cologne, that, that, that they could be worked like that. And right. that, that the, the simple touching of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the, the saintly stone that touches the coffin liner, that touches the relic, is, is, is enough. Right. And that thing of, there's kind of this lovely Dila saint, Dila god mentality that happened with the neo-pagan revival, which was, and it's carried over what's into like... What's the saint like, for? Yeah, what's the saint for? What does the saint do? Mm-hmm. Well, the saint does what it does because it's, you know, if it was an earthly it's person, it's, right it's trying to get closer to God, yeah, and, yeah. or, you know, and it's being manipulated in its, in its afterlife as to being that thing, and we can get into conversations of what's going on with saints at a later time, but at a certain point, it's still... What saint do you go to for something? Well, the one that you've been working with every day might be a good start, or at least ask their advice, because it's it's a very different thing. If I go, hey Al, I really have this question, and I was curious if you know any. I don't know a single person that's interested in Iranian seventh century folk magic concerning camel dung. Mm. And okay, well, we great. Now we look up at a broader reference. But if I somehow maybe you do know someone, then it would be like, why wouldn't I go to you first? That was a really obscure reference, but I was trying to make it specific. <laughs> I, I think of Liana Sayef. I mean, she's. <laughs> century, but she could probably point you at someone. Yeah, uh, but no, it's it's what is patronage, right? It's who do you go to first because they're who you go to. They're part of how you do the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if we're talking about dead magicians and patrons of magic. Uh, it's really interesting when you go into the Magi because mm-hmm. there's three kings that are now showing obeisance to a king that outranks them. Mm-hmm. So they are kings that are. Tr- offering their crown there, they're recognizing at least an equal, yeah. if not. So it's interesting in this discussion of hierarchy, too, of that the kings of the circumstance, the king of Africa, Asia, and Europe, metaphorically, right. bigger picture, are, are coming to look for Jesus. Three, um, three uh, at the perimeter becoming one at the center. Exactly. So you've got, you can do all that lovely like Trinity mystery stuff, but also you orient in space. Yes. And you can, you can call in particular directions as and well. And therefore, Bethlehem at that time becomes the center of the world. Right, right. That's just the house... The house of God. It's just interesting that that that, that happens. It becomes. It's. It ties it into a lot of things. It's. It's. It's the Kaaba. It's this circumambulation around mm-hmm. things. But that mutability of patronage and agency and regency is something we don't talk about as much in. Let me. When I say talk about, I do not see it discussed quite as much in the online archives of the Facebook. Um, <laughs> No. There's your Libra AF. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Facebook. Um, but because I think it's, it's something that does come up for everybody when there's, a, there's a, a length of time practicing about something of like, oh, this thing that worked at another time, it's the actor's challenge of you cannot 
fully recreate the circumstances of when you did something good the last time you did it on stage. Like, there have to be new circumstances, and you have, must work within the current... Mm -hmm. You must acknowledge the current reality, and you must work with from where you are yeah. in order to get something that even resembles that, ah, oh, that's what it is. So that's it's interesting to me. As far as kingliness and stones, I mean, like, we can talk about gold, but, like, that's a whole other thing. Pyrite, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But in the sense of the star, too... I mean, a couple of things come to mind, personally. Lodestone itself, uh, and, okay, not necessarily knowing how it's created mm. in, uh, to an average person, this type of thing, but this, this thing that draws other things in and can be fed and is therefore considered showing more signs of life than the average mineral. Mm -hmm. is oh, it's, the, it's the go-to for not just describing what weird stones do, but what weird nature things do mm -hmm. like, at all. It's the go-to definition from like Pliny onwards for sympathy and antipathy yes especially and sympathy and antipathy arguably are the meta principles that everything else kind of relies on the sympathetic cosmos you can divide up sympathy into similitude signature things that gets called correspondence sometimes for a specific principle of operation of the cosmos occult principles from which all the other stuff can be logically arranged and mm -hmm. done. They're the axioms. Of, I like that Patrick Curry quote about logic is no guarantee of its premises. Mm -hmm. And this resolves an awful lot of those like, well, is it scientific thinking or is it magical thinking? I really don't like the term magical thinking anyway. As a, because it's, a, it's an antithesis to scientific thinking as right, opposed yes, to like, the, just observation-based. The psychologized uh, uh, kid gloves version of this person is already thinking like a crazy person, yeah. which, is, which is labeling theory rather than any kind of useful diagnosis. Anti-psychiatry rant, uh, tangent. <laughs> Where was I going with that? Stones, lodestone, yeah. Mm -hmm. The innovation, ER, the vivification of virtue through its call to that which is like it or that which it likes. The idea of things having affinities, that magic and nature is made up of things that love and hate each other. Mm -hmm. And these this interrelationality of things. So, lodestone is there. And again, we've got that idea of things drawing to the thing. So, mm -hmm. it's Christ under the star, like, I suppose, in that sense of pulling stuff towards mm -hmm. it. Alignment to the the North Star itself and, and the different permutations of, of what that must mean because of the stars themselves following around those things and its relationship to meteorite and fulgurite mm. and these other stones that are made through interaction with the environment in a, in a very huge way that, that thunderstones themselves in African and, and Afro-diasporic, uh, there's a lot of people that believe that thunderstones are discussing, of course, iron pieces that are being struck by lightning. So when lightning strikes and you're trying to dig up these stones, that the original ones were about magnetized stones, that they draw metal. And this is a huge thing, that, that the lightning, which is attracted towards metal, attracted towards the positive thing, that it's there, that stone becomes something that you can draw justice with as well, because now it is striking and holds the power of lightning in it. So the observations are easily there in mythological references, and also the just the differences of where lightning strikes and the comparison of lightning to meteorites and meteorites to lightning that goes up versus lightning that goes down versus lightning that stays in the sky and all these other things, this sky interaction, even though they're not the same thing, but they're kind of grouped in this phenomenal mineral world. It's a powerful foreigner who comes to Earth and goes on a journey yeah. and arrives at a, a special point. Yeah. So is, is it this is the interaction stellar? Almost always, it, even though we know that, I guess scientifically, that it is an interaction as opposed to fully implanted unless it's a meteorite. But, you know, the, the lore that surrounds Moldavite and this type of impact glass that happens, mm. the tectites that form, 
it's also part of those kind of minerals of phenomena, phenomena-based minerals. Mm-hmm. But the lodestone itself is such an interesting, this reorientation. And if I was going to pick a stone that was so three kings, hmm. in addition to gold and all these other things, it's just if I'm going to build off of this symbolism that comes from the gold and the earth, but that the lightning inspires a celestial and drawing the iron out of the earth towards itself, it becomes more animal hmm. for me. Um, if I abandon my earlier pop- proposition of animal being higher and keep to my first one of animal being the plane in the middle it does start to incorporate other natures it draws light towards itself to mm-hmm. be created or light is attracted to it and mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just building up saint lodestone right now um, <laughs> i like it's it the mexican in me <laughs> uh was it the gertrude stein quote that in, in mexico anything can be a saint if it's useful it's saint mm-hmm. santo lodestone uh santo iman piedra iman the magnet stone. Yeah. But Iman, I always like this Piedra Iman, that Iman is also the leader of a Muslim community. Iman. So it's, it's, it's just the, the sound of it to me when I was little. This like, oh, it's, it's part of the Kaaba and this is what, you know, just because I was an insane child. Yeah. I'm still an insane adult. <laughs> um, you get the lodestone core in the, the prayer of the gnomes as well. Uh-huh. So you get that axis, that sense of the thing going right through the the core of the earth and the and the mated pairs of of at least documented use in, in southern black culture in hoodoo mm-hmm. quite fascinating that, that, that they can create this kind of field around them that they moving them apart and towards each other that then gets supplanted by by magnets as well because it's just well, if, if that's great you just see what i do with these electromagnets that, mm-hmm. that are now available mm-hmm. there's some scary ebay magnets now they're like if you put them within five foot of a credit card it's going to blank them I know a few people that are very happy with doing love spells with them. <laughs> um, for me, it's a little bit I don't want to raise my credit cards. That's yeah, heavy biz. And just the, the reliance upon navigation and the, the association of lodestone with travel mm. because of using it as a compass, a floating, the floating point. Right, right. Building even from lodestone to, to what is, um, what draws or what is drawn to because lodestone is the star, ultimately. Right. But what is the three kings is an interesting consideration, which is, you know, we Not which follows putting the on star, right. heliotrope is... is it's, it's the, it's the kind of uh, inversion. Yeah. It is that which turns its head to the, the sun. Which and this mutable hierarchy, mutable regency, mutable agency, that this, it is a good symbolism contained in that, mm-hmm. in that plant. Oh, symbolism is such a dirty word for me. <laughs> um, there is a sympathy yeah. between the three kings and, and heliotrope, both in truth, between stone and plant. Mm. Well, I mean, they're utterly confused in the uh, historical record, you know, uh, to, to, to the point where people argue about whether or not the heliotrope is a stone or a plant. Okay, so heliotrope itself, right, there's hundreds of species, but ultimately its main characteristic is that it turns its head towards the sun, and the, and the more kind of English familiarity is the, the purplish, bluish mm-hmm. flower. Yeah, it's a kind of borage, and it, it looks kind of like that with a more accentuated kind of flower mm. borage is for courage is the classic so there's that but it, it's unusual as a borage because it's also poisonous mm. which is interesting when we get into that like the venom of the sun mm-hmm. kind of thing and that's that's it's that's it's it's jam is that it 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 turns its head with the sun it follows the sun it's uh one of apollo's favorites who uh, upon death i think rather than having been chased it's not a daphne kind of thing it's uh, it's a memorialization thing or one of the nymphs that is immortalized as the plant. So is, is reborn as well. So you have those solar mysteries of is dead and comes back as a plant, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of cool. 
Yeah. And it's and it's expressly linked to the stone in its use as well. One is usually said to have to hold both of them in the hand to fully use their main feature, which is invisibility. Hmm. And so you have the, that nice notion that the sun rules invisibility, whether or not you're talking about like Kazemi and the idea of being blinded because mm-hmm. it's too close to the sun or looking directly at the sun blinding you or... Uh, simply the idea of that which rules light can also take it away. Mm. Uh, so you have that 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 solar quality of that kind of invisibility. But I also think you have a variety of other things. Like invisibility doesn't just cover not being seen. It also covers occupying the same space as other things that can't be seen. And so it has a spirit sight connotation. Well, that's you're already making my brain happy about Three Kings and associating this plant with that in the sense of like alerting Herod to this greater presence which is the sun in this way and him knowing about it now but not being able to find him by in effect they're they're in the sympathy of heliotrope very strongly and you know we we, in full honesty of course we plan out some of these overlapping things but it's nice to find that connection more when we're when we're talking about it because i think heliotrope fine it, it means that which turns towards the sun. And in Spanish, you have the same name for another plant, girasol, sunflower, mm. uh, a similar thing of this giant thing that looks like the sun that follows the sun across its path. It doesn't you know, close up the way some other heliotropes do, but it does turn towards this. And it's an interesting corollary, this 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 idea of Kazemi being blinded that the, the, the corona is, is, is the problem. You can't look directly into the sun and this indivisibility thing of, of through distraction or through so close you can't see it is quite interesting hiding in plain sight Mm -hmm. so heliotrope becomes this plant for me of not the blind but more the uh it is one of the patrons of witch tongue Mm. of let's ascribe it to different spirits or whatever it is but this this idea of the word all words are lies but the forked tongue speaks two truths and only one is listenable at a time. Listenable? Wow, that's... Yeah, yeah. that's fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> able to be listened to. So it, it is interesting this way, of which if we are turning towards the sun, then, then that by its nature it must evoke the, the antipode of that. So th- that you're turning away from that which isn't the sun. Mm-hmm. So there's this interesting alignment towards, and can you full heliotrope through a grow light? Yes, yes you can. Gosh, so yeah, the courage to, to cross distances, the movement of a, of a plant, type of life not generally associated with movement at least mm-hmm. necessarily and those that are it's always weather related which is is great poor man's weather glass inevitably when you talk about heliotrope you're also talking about the stone heliotrope because of exactly the kind of confusions that we've just been you know kind of talking about or that it, it occurs in the historical text partly as a stone and partly as a herb so if we're doing that we're also kind of talking about heliotrope the stone which is one of the things called bloodstone, uh, as is hematite, and I guess a couple of others as well sometimes. But once we're talking about that, we're also expressly talking, or one of the things we can talk about is, again, it's, it's grimoric use, where it crops up, whether that's as the emetil in uh, the Grand Grimoire, or as one of the stones that one 
uh, carves the first character into in the Grimorian Verum series. And in that case, it's expressly also, again, linked to its, its for its solar qualities, the, the green chalcedony, if mm-hmm. that's what it is, the red jasper. Mm-hmm. The, it's, it's expressly linked to its, its solar quality because it's also said you can use rubies or emeralds, also both very solar things, to repress the pride of solar spirits, mm-hmm. and uh, which, which, which is fascinating for a number of, of, of reasons. Mm in terms of solar spirits being very useful as they are, uh, if not kings, kingly, uh, but also require their their pride to be repressed. Okay, bloodstone is drops of blood, and it's, it's, it's as in the solar nature there, it's being picked for the birthstone of March because of its correlation with Aries, and drops of Aries in the blood spilling. Um, Aries, the god, not just Aries, right, right, right. The, the, the ramp. But it's interesting because the, the the whole primal fire that is happening there, right? Of of enough cardinal fire that drives us out of winter, hmm. that allows something to be born, the year to be born solarly anew at that time, repressing the pride of solar spirits, but repressing this pride of all spirits in some way. Because I mean, pride is a very solar quality, right? And it immediately brings to mind this kind of fascination I have with the with the Mayoral in, in in Kimbanda of the first ray of light bounding over the the sword of St. Michael that, that banishes things. Yeah. And there's something interesting there because bloodstone is something that is, is traditionally associated with him, but it's, it's like, okay, well, why? It's blood. Right. Blood so, is the yeah, threat of, of blood. I've seen people even refer to it as the stone that contains drops of slain spirits. So it's this thought of, like, I did this once and I can do it again, but this solar nature, too, is very interesting. Mm-hmm. The blood of the sun and this, this type of thing coming to show the threat. Right. To show that, the, that there is still something that can put you to sleep. Mm-hmm. Spirits of night, spirits of deception, spirits of darkness. Mm-hmm. So, it, in, And if the sun is the king, how far can it be extended that therefore all spirits are truly showing obeisance in some way to the sun? Right. Um, and we're back to Psalm 72 yeah. and the notion that kings will bow. So. <laughs> yes, good old Gasper. Yeah. So, we're, yeah, we're, we are acting as a, a greater king that forces lesser kings to, to, to bow or to at least mm. you know grant us audience or to seek us out as well which I guess is also that quality of, of drawing which is one of those other interesting features of invisibility working is to the extent it, it's about entering the spirit world as well as being able to, to see the unseen mm. it's also being able to, to move through the unseen or even move through dangerous territory without being seen uh, it has a reputation for divination too doesn't it just a Maybe it's about the revealing of bearing, putting light onto something in that way. Then mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I just know that it is uh, often cited as a, a divination stone. Well, this is, yeah. Well, preserving health and things like that makes perfect sense as far as retaining cardinal fire mm-hmm. and retaining that that virtue. Do you want to speak a little bit about its confusion with hematite? Uh, it's mainly in the French, from what I gather, and. So there's that, yeah, em, it described as the Emetil, I think, in, in the Grand Grimoire, where one also uses it to draw uh, the circle or the pentacles around the circle, possibly, in the, the extended right to uh, summon and pact with Yusufius Rafakale. So we're, we're moving beyond it as a stone for medicine, for, for stopping blood. Uh, which, if you're signing in blood, is also going to be a significant thing. It moves beyond its medical applications to... This is also the stylus, mm-hmm. the stylus upon the, the wax of the earth. It's, the, it's that confusion of what do you mean by the word for blood and the word for stone mm-hmm. together. Hematite is, is bloodstone, as mm-hmm. is 
what gets called heliotrope. So it's 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 a it's a it's a word confusion, but I think they're we I think showing that one is for pulling things to it, and the other is to being pulled to things, being pulled into the realm of the invisible, turning one's head towards the greater source. That one is you know operating by the authority of the anointed Nazarene as mm -hmm. well to an extent. It's, it's interesting when you start to explore blood as the idea of flow of the rivers inside you and stopping the flow, stopping time in a sense, mm -hmm. entering into Kairos and time out of time and the idea of sealing a pact, that the pact now exists out of time, mm. that it is a solidified boundary around everything that happens no. after the pact and in some cases in many examples before mm. the pact that, that once that thing is signed it takes encompasses everything surrounding it. Mm. So it, it is interesting to bring it up as the stylus of the earth in that way of like, what are you stopping? And with Lucifugio Focale of, of being the light fleer and kind of invoking the, the heliotrope thing of turning towards the sun must automatically turn away from what is dark. So you have the thing turning towards and by its nature automatically invoking that which we ascribe to Lucifugio Focale of mm -hmm. fleeing from the light. Mm. The, the needle points one way and the, the eye is actually the other side. <laughs> um, so it's the, it's the south. It's the, it's the, that if the lodestone points north, that the southern point, the point of fruition and all these other things is, is necessarily invoked. It's the compass point that is not the point. Mm. That if we know north, we must know south, which is also interesting. Mm. I like that the stone is actively used in the Grand Grimoire, uh, certainly with more of a verum emphasis I've inscribed or painted first character on for, for operations and had that in a bag and used that as a pendulum as well, which is it is one, one set of things to do with and I like the idea of it inscribing in the air and like leading that way mm -hmm. and the way the idea of oh it's a thing that turns towards the sun that's gonna be useful for penduluming. But uh mm -hmm. I, I like that it's not contained in the bag, it's actually out and used mm -hmm. because it's with its use and, and crucially with its use either with liquids that it becomes interesting as well so you have the, the idea of drawing with it and then you have the idea of of inking it in some way mm -hmm. as well so how it changes uh, in, in in water so it goes from this leek green to this very red and turns you know turns the water red it, as, as the thing is in the glass mm -hmm. and, and the idea of light through the medium that it is in uh, is is also fascinating. Doing uh, Robert Allen Bartlett's Prima Alchemy course, mm -hmm. talking about chlorophyll and, and a highly tinctured substance mm -hmm. looking very, very uh, red mm -hmm. until it's brought up to the light and then looking incredibly green. Mm -hmm. And so this, there's some deep plant blood mystery yeah, stuff that's, going that's, on. That's the first thing that comes to you is normally it's so green and you think of the, of the, the dark blood of plants mm -hmm. in African lore of, of uh, playing on that, mm -hmm. of, of which animal blood becomes added in yeah. just to to reify but uh, it's fascinating it's really interesting so yeah you're, you're dealing in all of those things and a, as an extra layer I've been really interested by a couple of the operations in Scott's and Gauntlet those those one-off mm -hmm. operations summoning experiment for the Alpharas and things like that where you go to a place and you have a sword and you use the sword to inscribe a, a, a circle of blood so yeah a bloody circle isn't too unusual but What's interesting is that some of those require an operate a, a phlebotomy uh, for you and your fellows beforehand mm -hmm. to show to, to, to be in full health. But what that means is you've got a bunch of dirty blood. You have blood with all of the bad humors yeah. in it. So is that the stuff that's used to do the circle? Mm -hmm. And in that case, is the unclean spirit coming because it wants 
blood or because it's attracted to ill humours. Mm -hmm. Which, of the second of those, we know that's the case. Melancholy is the devil's bath. It is the weight of dark, heavy melancholy, uh, which all humours can become if improperly heated. They can all be burned to a dust, one word. And if that's the case, it's, it's known that melancholy has, has, has enough of an effect, enough of a weight, a gravity of the grave, is how I like to think about it, that it, it pulls spirits in. Mm-hmm. So it's expressly talked about as side of the circle. Yeah. You are drawing the, the spirits in and you're creating that circuit. So I think in terms of, of drawing a circle with a bloodstone is also fascinating for those reasons. And also just how wetting it, how pouring libations to a stone that has a, a spirit near it or, or inscribed on it or bound into it becomes a, a fascinating uh, exercise of, of watching it change. It's fascinating to think of, of bloodstone as such a... One of the reasons I wanted to start with it is primarily because of it's just something to start with. It is, it is the Aries connection it is that cardinal how do we get something momentum and its connection to as a birthstone has kind of cheapened it for many people's feelings <laughs> like i know a lot of people who don't like using any stone that appears as a birthstone ah. um it, it invokes that kind of you know been there but i i was into that before you were into it's a too, kind of hipster mentality new agey yeah and and i mean there are very modern descriptions right birthstones but and they're going off of zodiacal things but um it's also a cheap stone it's not an expensive stone, mm. which I find also very revealing. Of you know, it, I am my birthday is in April. I'm in Aries, but diamond is really not cheap. <laughs> so always you come with bloodstone. There's a lot of experimenting with leeches. You know, I'm sure people will think of me as a horrible person for this, but I knew a, I worked with a group for a while that specifically certain people, certain signs, certain times of the year, leeches would be allowed to feed on you and that leech preserved and that offered upon a burner at some point mm. to invoke certain things that certain of us that had alliances with certain kings amongst the 72 that our blood called that spirit so it was part of the thing if we were calling a certain king that the person who had that devotion to that king and that relationship their blood was of use and short of doing the kind of more chicano impulse thing of pricking yourself diabetic blood checkers the lancets yeah. the lancets thank you because i'm just describing the thing a blood checker pricker thing <laughs> the pens that you can get and mm-hmm. multiple blades and now that you, a lot of them have up to six needles and you can actually just pass it around a, a small circle and it's all sanitary and it's all great yeah. but taking that and, and putting it upon incense resin is very very modern Mexican devotional of like how do I offer my blood to something what the, how do I offer my blood to whatever saint I'm working with which many people will frown upon about the offering of one's own blood but it's extremely rooted in Mexican culture and I, I challenge anyone to tell me otherwise mm. offering of blood multiple times a day but the idea of offering the blood of someone who is already bound to that king, to that spirit, even on incense form, is interesting. Yeah, no, it's fascinating because so often, even within, perhaps especially in pagan circles, the idea of offering your blood is offering is almost only talked about as giving power over yourself to something. It now has now has your DNA, now it has your personal effects, mm-hmm. your, your most intimate and vital of personal effects bar possible sexual fluids, I suppose, but one that's associated with violence already and with having to, you know, remove it in an unpleasant way rather than a, a more pleasant way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's only talked about as like, oh, you've, you know, you shouldn't, shouldn't do that on the basis of giving something power over you. But if you are entering into agreement, you are producing something that's, that's being nourished by you 
for a start. And also, once you have made that agreement, once you have that pact, once you have that allegiance, mm-hmm. then, yeah, your blood then calls to them. So it's operationalizing that kind of agreement. It's, it, at a certain point, it becomes the paraphrasing Chumley, right, of... Uh if you call the gods and they come, who else can say aught? Like, it, it, at a certain point, your, your personal validation from other people or what you do is like, where's the proof in your life? And are things going well for you? Or are you accomplishing what you need to accomplish? Is there a growth happening? There should, should always be some trajectory forward. Yeah. And it's an interesting place. Blood calls to certain things, and, and this is this is where the, the witchcraft side enters in more. Ah, I guess it's the modalities, right? In, in Gimbanda, I would never offer my own blood. This is what's done when you're initiated fully, is the blood is offered to the spirit, for the, and this is part of being scratched in as a tata or a yaya, but this is, you don't do it in the early days. Like, why would you Why would you offer this thing? It will feed off of you. And the witchcraft side of me says, like, that's the effective way to get demons called in. It, it you know... This is almost like one of those areas of like, do I really want to talk about this? <laughs> can definitely be said that the other go-to is the witch's familiar law. Yeah, and the particularities absolutely. of that in in British law and, and craft, and the notion of exp- you know all that inverted dark motherhood stuff of you know nourishing a thing on your blood with a special teat. Yeah, and even the invoking the dark motherhood thing of the opposite of the means of extraction is the paired polar natures of these things, that if something's pleasurable to extract, it is by its nature dirty, and that if something is difficult to extract, it is by nature clean. And blood is pure. Blood is, in in a lot of this mentality, this very, very colonial Catholic mentality of, like, blood is always sacred, and semen and menses are dirty. And it's funny, which shows the mentality there, because I don't think menses is wonderfully easy or painless to extract <laughs> but the idea that it you know, this this idea is these medieval notions of, of femaleness and, and and blood and what it is and the curse of eve and all these other things there's also a uh, attitude that doesn't exactly get a lot of traction but is that menstruation is natural phlebotomy that there is a line of that reasoning that is usually brought up to say why it's wrong in a bunch of ways that never quite seem to stick the logic, mm-hmm. but that the idea that women must be therefore naturally more humorally suited to whatever endeavour they are, they are better balanced, they are avoiding their own bad humours naturally. It's one of the outstanding taboos, I would say, still in Western society, the idea that menses is, is unclean. Mm. And the transgression of that in an almost tantric manner in, in, in most witchcraft forms is is very encouraging to see, mm. this engagement with taboo in this way. Menses and shit, mm. right? Everybody thinks semen is sacred. They're just like, okay, Gnostics, thanks. But menses is still one of the great taboos that uh, irks a lot of people, whether it's mooncakes or mm. or other things. It's just, oh, but is that is that safe to eat? Like, you, really? We're going to ask that question? <laughs> but... It's it's so interesting to say and tying it into bloodstone and tying it into heliotrope and this idea of the thing that turns towards the sun, as opposed to the thing that turns to the moon. Yeah, and turns by the moon. Yeah, which which yeah, the tides of the body in that way that like when when the pregnancy happens that it is no longer turning towards the moon, it's turning towards the sun. It's it, it's literally raising something that will will see the sun in a very different way than mm. it, it, it's a one eighty. Very fascinating. Okay, so going through heliotrope, going through this kind of solar thing, three kings, and this devotional turning. Well, if we're talking about sun and moon, we're talking about the two luminaries, we're talking about from one to the other, we're talking about movement in time, we're talking about journeys. And so, yeah. Because the things that measure the calendar themselves. Yeah, yeah. But, okay, so talking about lunar and solar at the same time, Baal, 
mm-hmm. is is right there. Mm-hmm. And heliotrope's nature with invisibility, yeah. and even Bloodstone being the primal. We could talk a lot about Bale, but Bale's the first, right? In so many lists, and therefore, it's one of those things. Oh, it's just a one. I think we talked about this before. Is he king because he's king and first over everybody, or is he king just because he's been called so many damn times? He's the one that everybody has to come through because. Right. You call the thing first in the list. Usually that's how people work. Mm-hmm. There's this desire for order and like, oh, he must be there for a reason, the king right. in the east. And, mm-hmm. oh, the east is the sun rising. And there's all right. these things there which naturally aligns him to bloodstone and naturally aligns him towards anything that's cardinal fire mm-hmm. and, and being Aries. So even though that's not explicitly stated, there seems to be a relationship that's, that's building there. And this kind of alignment between the 72 specifically being memories of other things. Right. Very obviously. And, and his name constantly evoking thousands of different bales from northern Africa through the Levant, or I should probably go the other way around and say from the Levant, existing over the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. northern Africa. And depicted as a large amphibian is not the most solar thing the way that no. that a European mind would look at it. No. I, I could see it, the, the, the warmth that toads go for warmth, but they are still nocturnal, right. uh, or at least crepuscular. Mm-hmm. And, and renowned as uh, expressing a great hatred for mankind. <laughs> Which I adore. The most, yeah, the most common use of toads is plague cakes. Is uh, The Xenexton is various amulets that are used to ward off the plague. Except they're not used to ward off the plague. They're like the evil eye. They're used to absorb it. Yeah. They, they take the plague bullet for you. A lodestone. Right. And, and the reason the plague is attracted to them is that plague and toads are said to have a sympathy because they both hate people, mm-hmm. uh, like human people. I well, even say. the parallel between lodestone and toadstone. Right. That grants health. It, it's, it's drawing. It, it contains. Mm-hmm. It draws that which you would normally want to keep away. So it's it's a uh, right. And you have both you have both sides in there. Uh, if you if you look at the Pliny's bramble toad. Yeah. Uh, it's not one stone in the head or jewel in the head. It's the two stones on the left and the right side of the body, mm. which does get flipped around sometimes. But turns up in Magnus. Definitely turns up in Agrippa and is is widely discussed. And it's it's a thermodynamics of humoral theory again. One of them will heat cold water up. It will make it continue to boil, and that's used for for love, heat, mm-hmm. the fires of love, and all. And the other will prevent boiling water from ever boiling if it's in the pot, which uh-huh. is cooling and not just frigid and stultifying, but uh, will stir hatred and encourage hate uh, if you need to use it for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm. There's Spanish spells that refer to the toad that is jumping away from you versus the toad that is stationary, and both have their purposes. Mm. That the one that stays towards you is challenging you and is the one that you use for cooling because it is hatred focused and is more earth and lunar in nature the one that leaps away the legs become preserved for action for fire for heat so the legs preserving parts of the feet and the legs become a very different thing than than keeping the head where the power of hatred lies in the head for the toad <laughs> and the venom sacks themselves I was going right? to say yeah yeah so those toads that can literally vent poison yeah. through the eyes and, and even though the yeah, you get the idea of whipping toads to make them excrete the mm. venom so uh, and it's always it's almost always with a thorny plant so mm. using hawthorn or blackthorn in Iberian trial records um, even Delancre documenting the Basques of children being hired to whip the toads so that the venom flows because if that's what you need at the time that's what you need mm. and also it accustoms the toad to being handled mm. because being handled is nothing compared to being whipped mm. and then of course you can go into like toadman rights and this type of sure, things sure. past that but all of that looping back to the amphibian so much cyprianic stuff 
sewing the eyes of toads, doing all that kind of business. I have heard it said how how kind of vaguely humanoid a toad can kind of look if you're looking for, you know, is it easier to go and catch a toad if you need a poppet or to find a bunch of cotton that isn't being used for something else or construct a corn dolly or something. Mm -hmm. It's alive as well. It's used for for similar exploration even in scientific dissection and in school for its similarity on the inside to a human. Mm -hmm. That it's easy to find the heart, it is easy to find the lungs, it is easy to find these, these anatomies right. within it and also the in addition to the kind of taming of its nature by by using it for these things the stewing of it whether it goes back into the earth or back into if it's a frog back into more muddy swampness mm-hmm. there or is kept, something or kept there. in the box or kept in the box and this type of slow desiccation of it the tying of the toad mm-hmm. in in different lures to different woods and then mm-hmm. waiting until it dies and then recovering bones in that way mm-hmm. the descriptions of the toadman's right these things are the, the, the bones that swim upstream or right. different cypriotic accounts of uh what exactly are you looking for there? Is it a bone that's a certain shape? Is it a mm. bone that floats upstream? It's similar to the black cat bone. What are these overlaps? Which is interesting because you have black cat lore, you have toad lore, and interestingly enough, Bale has both. Right. There is a feline quality. The only one that is both toad and feline. Um, uh, is both amphibian and feline, as far as I'm aware. And of central importance is invisibility, and in the one that gets missed off is longer heraldry or offices is love. As well, which is also the other thing that well, the toad right is used for, is yeah. also the other thing that the black cat Certainly with is love, used for. Is, there's this over-romantic kind of new age imposition about love and it being at best grey magic, mm-hmm. if we're going to use this monochromatic scale, but it being just such a tortuous dark magic in, in medieval thought right. of the manipulation of someone's heart in this way, mm-hmm. or, their, or their liver, or whichever, whichever culture you're working with. <laughs> um, so it brings to mind the, the song Bale by Exuma, which says many things, but it says the constant theme is Bale will be your downfall. And it's this meditation for me over the years of Bale, when we talk about a lord, is a thing that owns something, a thing that has sovereignty over mm-hmm. something. And so there is a bale that owns the door that could be symbolized by the hinge. There is a bale that is the lintel and the, and the floor. There is a bale of so many different things in this concept of what Baal, I would just say it in that way. Yeah. And that this concept of lordship and primacy is tied into what Baal is and this record-keeping of, of ancientness. This is an ancient ancient adversary right. in this way. Baal. But Baal the demon in Nixuma's song becomes this kind of extension of whatever it is that causes your downfall is Baal. Mm-hmm. Baal is there by the nature of it being the thing that causes your downfall, the thing that just takes you over the teetering point, mm-hmm. which I find very fascinating that the Lord is at the zenith, the height, and then it causes the fall because now that you've invoked the height, you must invoke the nadir and you're going to go down. Mm-hmm. How do you see the feline nature playing out in in Baal? Well, as is typical to draw back to, to human theory, cats are melancholic. Any animal with a heart and kind of blood flow as well, but the heart, the main thing, has humours. And because they don't have a rational faculty of the soul like us humans patting ourselves on the back for being <laughs> special and close to God, their passions are unadulterated. And cats are considered especially melancholic. Uh, by one account, especially if you kick them, which, you know... I mean... Everyone gets melancholic when you kick them, right? But it also exam- it expounds upon what the idea of, of the, this perception of the word melancholy as a difference from the kind of common 
understanding of that term now. Right. The right. melancholy now, when you describe someone as melancholy, you describe them as kind of withdrawn and slow moving almost mm -hmm. to the point of no action. But if you kick a cat, that cat is not in an active place. It is right. in a place of extreme boiling anger mm -hmm. and overflow of emotions mm -hmm. that, that can be expressed in so many revenge ways. Right. But right. it's holding on to something mm -hmm. more than it is just slowly kind of descending into earth. Right. Which and is kind of how we view melancholy more. And I'm mm -hmm. sure there's room for it being both. But the modern parlance, because I do not have your expertise. It can be useful to compare it to what is now called depression and things like that in, in either acute or chronic ways. But it's also a, a sticking to of things. So it's talked about as like grief sticking to the heart, mm -hmm. for instance, and a naturally sanguine person, even if they are melancholic at the moment, being around a lot of death or experiencing a bereavement or with a, a terrible conjunction in relation to their nativity chart currently in the heavens or having eaten a bunch of very earthy foods or any other way in which you can become temporarily melancholic will still naturally move towards not just sanguinity because that's that's what they go back to but part of being sanguine is that things don't stick for long you you have your feelings they can go through and then you're done very aries yeah, <laughs> yeah. But a lot of humors have things that they're particularly bad at like letting go of and that's another way of looking at personality proclivity is not just like what do you do but what do you what can you not let go which is one of the things that troubles the notion that uh, anger is when, with aristotle for instance uh, anger is regarded as a healthy thing it's considered commensurate to the slight that causes it it's it's the it's the motivation of the activist to mm -hmm. go and do something yes. to right a wrong to uh, fight an injustice yeah. um, but with uh, certain choleric uh, temperaments the thing is still there in the mind yes. and produces a bunch of stuff and, yes. and that's, that's passions in time as well so if a thing is in front of you it's causing you joy or, or sorrow but if you are thinking about it to come mm -hmm. and it's good then that's hope if it's not good then that's a kind of fear mm -hmm. uh, it could be a kind of eschewing when we deal with our actions in time uh, our passions yeah. uh -huh. but then you've also got the past and holding on to things in that way that's interesting with the with sidetrack too much on the anger, but it's because it, it can ultimately be semantics in these mm. battles, especially in this kind of Facebook. Well, I don't agree with your use of that term, but I'm not going to. Exp we're not going to. We're not going to agree upon what we mean by this term. We're just going to argue it for the next mm -hmm. twenty comments. Mm -hmm. But acting wise, I had a, a teacher who was very, very big on making a differentiation between anger and rage. And that rage was imbalanced. Anger is not necessarily imbalanced. Anger was motivation. Anger was clarity. And right. that the scariest, most angry people are so clear that everything just, it becomes a, a, a laser focus on what needs to be done. And it is the motivation. It is the motivation for the activist. It is the motivation mm -hmm. to accomplish something. Anger right. can be that great motivator. But the rage is the overcome with something else. It's holding on to something specific that is, well, that person caused this thing and I've got to punish them, this type of thing, which can then lead, lead into these kind of maxims of revenge as a dish best served cold because you will betray yourself right. in, in this pursuit in that way. Yeah. It's interesting with the holding on to things in this very melancholic way. If I think of you know the quintessential Saturnine symbols of the scythe and like the hard work that goes into agriculture, mm. constant tending to the earth. It is sticking to it. It is a perseverance that, that, that must be by its nature. It is a slow tending. It is not quick fruition. It right. is burying things and seeing them. They're rewarded this years later. Right. And this kind of... Playing the long game. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not quite the same thing. Exactly what a cat does. Huh? That cat will get you back, even if it's <laughs> ten years from now. In that cat's mind, somehow, right. it's going to wait for you as you get out of the shower and like dig its claws in and yeah. be like, that's for kicking me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although we've seen plenty of YouTube videos where the cat gets back right away. The notion of uh, slightly complexifying a relationship with humans as well. 
well if mm. codes are unmitigated hatred mm-hmm. uh, to the extent they'll, they'll spit poison out of their eyes at you uh-huh. uh, then, then then cats are interesting in terms of their history of semi slash non-domesticity and so we get that archaeological record of cats gradually moving closer and closer to human encampments as far as we can tell out of convenience out of convenience <laughs> not they, it's, 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 it's not it, we don't steal them and breed them till they can't live without us yeah, we don't we don't instill or, or eugenicise that loyalty. It is a pact. <laughs> it is an agreement, and we find that even now uh, with the I don't have the stats in front of me, but the the number of dogs not to play that dogs versus cats game, but the number of dogs whose whose breeding is the result of human endeavour, artifice, or control mm-hmm. is is most of them that that we know about that are owned. Oh, yeah. Whereas even domestic cats, most of the time, it is not people deciding to breed their cats or not unless they're getting them spayed, mm-hmm. which is a, a whole other conversation. You can do it by allowing certain animals to, certain style or breeds of cat to be around each other and there will be a mating that happens out right, of right, 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 right. that. But yeah, dogs are distinctly, there was a really good documentary on this on Netflix that the, there was a Russian experiment that it was seven generations was all it took to take from a fully feral animal to completely domestic. And all it takes is multiple mating attempts mm. and taking the most gentle of those dogs and the physical characteristics of many of those dogs as they became more domesticated are the exact traits you see. Curled tail, the ears become different, the structure becomes different, there are certain physical traits. They also, because why not go the other way, took the most aggressive, and those dogs were insane. They're like the, the most feral you could get. And mm. it was that's a whole other side which shows this kind of, again, eugenics in its, in its, its e- strange, evil nature. Yeah. But, or, you know, taking the morality of it. It's complex nature and its relationship to desired effect and that, that agenda drives it right. by its by its definition and its nature and that's that's the tricky part that, that again, everything invokes its opposite. Mm-hmm. If you turn towards the sun, you're going to be turning away from darkness right. and therefore if you pull the desired traits out of something, you're also invoking its opposite traits. Yeah. So it's dealing with, yeah, with the... The, the light in the darkness or the light through the darkness or the darkness on the other side of the light as well and to return more directly to the sun and kings I think one of the, the feline qualities of Bale that's interesting to compare or explore is a bunch of the king of cats a mythology and the, the cat she to a certain extent as well like so, a puss in boots type of thing the one that's more widespread is even simpler than that is a, a man is going home it's a variety of stories man is going home and a cat comes up to him and says the king of cats is dead and the names vary they're usually very similar so he goes home and tells his wife the cat just came and spoke to me and, and told me that the king of cats was dead whereupon their cat jumps up and says oh, he's dead that means I'm king and runs out of the, the house and what I like about this story is that it highlights that every cat thinks it's the king of cats uh-huh. and not just the king of cats but, but is fairly aware that it is the king of the household and without doing that kind of, I don't know if I own the cat or the cat owns me thing, there is a quality of that kind of unquestionable aristocracy. Which is interesting because that's the Shakespearean line that Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet is Prince of Cats. Mm-hmm. And you just added a whole other layer in there that it's okay, well, Prince of Cats is a certain aristocracy, but everybody thinks themselves the royalty of cats if you're a cat, and it's, it's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Insight and, into that. And I think that, that that's a, a useful way of thinking about the pride of solar spirits or the pride of uh, king spirits oh yeah it's so hard to get into like the specifics of these things because you don't want to betray mm-hmm. those things that are hard won by pact it's not necessarily about not allowing people to know that it's that the, the relationship is so personal 
mm-hmm. between these spirits that flows. And again, even discussing, building off of what was said earlier, that what is a king for you in this moment may not be a king for another person. And there are certain spirits that are said to be king, of course, but who is your king? That's my approach to it is who is your king? That these, at least in the 72, these nine are of rank mm-hmm. and you will be naturally allied to one of them mm-hmm. this is a very uh, Caribbean mentality <laughs> and practical mentality that a lot of, of people that outside the Caribbean have, have, have used as well right right but with Bale I've never felt a need to and this is my own agenda and personality there was a time in my explorations of it where it was like oh maybe this is a pagan spirit that's bound in this way but I think you know my side and where I think on this now let's see what the spirit says over a prolonged period of time and, and how much of that is useful because I've, I've found certain of the spirits absolutely love the intricate cosmologies of, mm-hmm. of Christendom and mm-hmm. talking about the fall and talking especially about the, the fall and, and where, where their course in it is and how so they shaped the yeah. universe through yeah. their pride or through their blah 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 yeah. and with Baal as being a constant mention in the Bible or Baal being a mention there's actually less of that interaction for me with Bale so much about prim- more about primacy mm-hmm. more about I am the first I am the one that's here you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I am the one that stirs lust I am the one that stirs motion I am the one that stirs stirs mm-hmm. it's again what you're saying even if it's that anger yeah. that stirs and, and motivates mm-hmm. yeah it's a very different relationship from there's no need and again everybody's going to have their agenda and it would be a fool to acknowledge that I do believe all spirits lie yeah. Spirits, I will say the definition, but the difference between God forms and things like this and right. spirits. But in that nature, they will also be working through the lie of matter. And I will extend it to that, that they will be playing upon that which you like. So if you are someone who wants that spirit to be that thing, it is in its interest to show up as that thing. It is the right. emanation body right, of right, that right, spirit, right. if we yeah, want to yeah, borrow yeah. from Buddhism there. And, and, and really, that's the trickster nature that is the dangerous part. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where also the two hands of research and of experiment both need to be washing each other to a certain extent. If you do a bunch of reading about Canaanite male god-king deities mm-hmm. and and then call them up, they're going to rifle through those, even if they're not preconceptions, and present like that. And so this idea of, well, research points me in the right direction uh, should be complicated by everything having a bias, that being you know, a very early lesson in applied history. Yeah. <laughs> And, and and the the idea too of extending history to include that which has been contemporary history, uh, it's one of the reasons that we seek out people of like mind. And it's there is mm-hmm. we've talked talked about this too, like the different forms of what validation is, and well, there's a pride entering there too. <laughs> like, you know, am I doing it the right way? Is often a question, but there's also a point where comparing notes with people that you don't need to get into specifics, and it's not about right or wrong, but. Mm kind of confirming the verified personal Gnosis nature right. of spirit interaction. And that, you know, whether it's Kimbanda spirit catalog or Grimoire Verum or the 72, it, there is still a consensus as to the nature of these spirits among people. And it's one of the telltale signs, these landmarks that exist. Mm-hmm. The notion of pride and lunar solar alignment in Baal is still there. Mm-hmm. That there is going to be feline and Todine? <laughs> oh, Bactractian. Back, oh, <laughs> wow, Bactractian. I believe um, that's the right word. You know, no, it sounds right. And then also, you know, for those people that are inspired by woodcuts and not by illustrations and mm-hmm. not necessarily, the spider's always going to come in even though it's not. Right. It's this type of thing of like, okay, the thing that creeps, the thing that, ha- the thing that has authority, the thing that controls the web. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do I justify this in my head? Like, why is this the image that's used? Right, right. And, you know, thinking about these things, people that don't have 
spirit sight. It's a common thing. Well, I, I don't hear them in this way. But you find out most of the time it's just that they don't have enough Saturn stick to <laughs> Like, oh, I've tried for a few. I called and nothing happened. How long did you wait? Let's, let's just ask. How long did you wait? Oh, a couple of minutes. Okay, try half hour. Try ten minutes. Mm-hmm. See what happens. Because you'll notice that maybe he was there all along in the, in the corner or she was there all along in the corner. Right. And it's the, the spider who is the spider who is the fly kind of mentality. Hmm. It's interesting to me. That's, that's um, fascinating. That the web is set and now who's waiting for who. Mm. And also the, the ties in song because of Exuma and other things to Obia and, this, and the nature of the, of the spider being trickster and emanation of God right. in this way for a Nazi. And then you have that notion of that which is called first as that which opens the way uh-huh. for other things as well. Yeah. Whether or not that's in an expressly kind of master of ceremonies kind of manner, the, the ring master. Oh, certainly. Uh, or more directly as a crossroad trickster. I've had one colleague, let's say, we, we, we learned very well from each other, that proposed that all of them were Baal. Not in the sense that they're all the same spirit, but that Baal is actually nameless because it is the first to come. And by rank of being Lord, they all have their lordships over things. Mm-hmm. So they are all Baal, but the first one that comes identifies itself as Lord um, because it is the, is the primal, is the first to come. And that all of them are subsequently coming in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, you, I don't want anybody to take that as like the literal gospel and be like, oh my God, they're all Baal. But it's, the, it's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Again, primacy. That's which comes first, even if it's not which is called. Right, right. Which is that other issue of the interesting difference when we, we apply that kind of Caribbean notion of you'll have a, a closer affinity of some kind and doing that kind of version of astrological nativity not in, in terms of being astrological but in terms of here are the forces that you are well aligned to or that you have a, a natural talent for working with but those aren't discerned usually by divination when we're talking about the people I know who are, are seriously working this stuff it's a combination of their own kind of proclivities show out oh because that was who I was called to or that's who ended up turning up or being more important in my practice or, you know, was more fruitful. I wouldn't say self-fulfilling, but it becomes kind of self-evident in a way that precisely because there isn't, you know, a central unified body of goetic magicians handing out degrees. Then you've got to the the necromantic nature of what what grimoires are, right? The book itself that, that we are resurrecting the dead and it's... It's very hard to see what the full body was, especially when there's this distance in, in learning and, and not acknowledging that you are fleshing a skeleton with partially your own tastes and all these things right. too that, that comes from it, as opposed to the limitations that can be posed in extant traditions where it's like, no, it's going to be like this and you're going to deal with it and you're mm-hmm. going to, you're going to adapt afterwards, but mm-hmm. you've got to learn how it comes and how it dresses and how these other mm-hmm. things. And those of us that operate in, in both those systems, <laughs> there's this like, no, it's, it is somewhere in between mm-hmm. it, but it's, it's really something that you fight against these two poles. Right. It is the the circumscribed skirt, circle of the, the two Johns on either side of just like sun and sun at height and sun at, Z, at, at nadir and just like mm-hmm. how do I find this, mm-hmm. this truth for myself yep. within this thing because the other side of it is even within the traditions where there are rigid rules of what this spirit is like and how it comes, your relationship with that spirit is your own. Mm. And that if you are truthfully transmitting, you transmit as it was transmitted to you so that that person has the same starting place, the most fertile place, the most agreed upon stable place to then start a relationship. Right. It's an invitation. It is not the start. It is an initiation. Mm-hmm. And I use that term knowing full well that again, we, we're going to talk about this many times, but initiation in the 
ATR sense in the in the kind of non-European sense, a lot of European initiation mentalities, it's a reward for work that has been done. It's a graduation ceremony for work, as opposed to, this is the start. Mm -hmm. This is the start. And I, library card. Yeah, I have handed you this thing, which will work. Now figure out how it works. Through my guidance, through other people's guidance, through whatever it is, here is a thing that we know can be done. And this is your starting place. Now make it your own. Mm. But when you transmit it, transmit it as it was given to you so that other people have that benefit and then help them. And it's this idea within witchcraft, within Makumba, of like I, trying to help people become the best witch or magician they can be, not the best you. <laughs> that if you take on students, that the point is not to make them all carbon copies of you, which is the opposite in many ways of how at least undergrad academia is, is proposed. Oh, absolutely. And if we're truthful, how a lot of... Don't make your students smarter than you because then they're going to replace you. Right. Which is the whole point of like, why not? Why not train people that are interested in the same topics? Mm -hmm. Because then they're going to do research that you don't have time for. Right. Right. And you can all come back and they can take care of when you're old and wipe your butt and tell you how amazing this spirit was. And, you know, <laughs> oh, that's really great. What happened when you gave him, you know, this whatever. Anyway. Yeah. So one of the oddest examples of the, the Three Kings popping up that I came across was in a book on the saints' cults in the Celtic world. Mm. And it's a thirteenth, mid-13th century Scottish brooch, which, along with some kind of vaguely mangled versions of the the names of Jasper with an I, Melchior, Balthazar, Consumatum on there as well, then some some Jesus stuff, Jesus, Nazaresus, uh, Rx, but then also Atrop, or Atropa, or Atropos, potentially. And they don't give a lot of context for why that might be, except to say, oh yeah, uh, Three Kings was a cult in clearly 13th century Scotland. Hmm. So they're like widely travelled, so we have this, this brooch, gold brooch, funnily enough, with the three kings, the Jesus king, and uh, a reference to the oldest and the most senior of the Morai, of the fates, mm -hmm. of Atropos, of she without turn. <laughs> and it, yeah, I ju I'm interested in a link between three kings and three fates or three weaving women. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's interesting even extending that without turn is very fascinating, right? Because that is obviously what her name means, mm -hmm. but the one that is not winding it, mm -hmm. that it's that is the, the stop, the stopping the turning, yeah. which you do with material when you are spinning it, you are going to collect it. Just as the other complication of that, I'm like, why well, didn't think of that before? There's no reference to it that I know of. There might be. Uh, please let me know if there is, but the three kings of Masonic involved in the, the building of the temple. And, you know, the, there wouldn't be a projection necessarily upon standard, what's called Blue Lodge Masonry, the first three degrees, because there's almost no little New Testament involvement. It's always, it's Old Testament. But the idea of the three kings being Hiram, king of Tyre, King Solomon, and in some way Hiram Abif, who is the, not a king by, by rank, but is the designer of the temple. So without going into any breaking of, of Masonic <laughs> jurisprudence, this idea of three, the three officers of the lodge, the, the two wardens and the, the master, and this idea of all of them serving and following the light, which, okay, okay the candlesticks themselves have been compared esoterically, but hmm. the candlesticks also do represent the, the, the principal officers. So it's just to build upon that further of like turning the head towards the light, hmm. um, that, that the north is traditionally a dark place and that the, the Masonically, the altar is served by two candles flush to the left and then one candle to the right to the south. And sometimes that's forward or back, that doesn't matter, but the important thing is showing that east and west 
and that north has nothing, and we mm. just put it to the side. Mm. So this concept of three lights around something, that three things start a coven, that all these lore that comes, that, that there's all that. Llewellyn, not using it as a pejorative, I'm just actually stating <laughs> that Llewellyn books did mention in the 90s that the three kings were one of the origins of three to start a coven, that the three magi mm. and these things. It was, it was not an uncommon thing to be recycled amongst which literature of the 90s specifically put out by Llewellyn. That's um, so it's an interesting inspiration thing yeah, yeah. of like, well, they were obviously a coven and they were going to, to go worship Jesus as the child of promise and the child of light. With going back to one of them as Atropos and, and, and recognizing the power of myrrh there mm. specifically as a funerary. Um, mm-hmm. fun, funerary? Funerary? Mm-hmm. Resin of death. Resin of the night. And, and certainly both are used in the church for both, you know, and is that because of the, the promise of the, the, to be become born is to then know you are going to die and that eternal life is something else. But this division between frankincense and myrrh, which is heavily kind of touted by, by later descriptions and correspondences of frankincense being solar and myrrh being lunar, but it's not that simple. And if you look in Agrippa, they're, they're both used for a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. And frankincense is so is one of the primary things that's being used in, in Orphic hymn fumigations, mm-hmm. as documented. So it, it is not just solar, but it is also the idea of celestial, which is also very interesting. It is not just, it is not catonic, the same nature. Right, right. That, that myrrh has this resin for being heavier. And certainly the smells are very different. Myrrh, like uh, patchouli, is one that it doesn't sm- make the room smell as strongly, as quickly. It is a slow-moving scent. Whereas citrus and, and those citrusy smells, like frankincense, the minute it hits that charcoal, the whole room starts to permeate with it. I mean, it's also fleeting because the faster mm-hmm. something moves, the faster it will dissipate. Mm-hmm. But it's also very interesting that we're dealing with fast-moving things that show movement mm-hmm. with this type of incense versus myrrh, which is a heavier, more Saturnine in there. Right, it's far more Saturnine, yeah. The weight of matter itself and then, and then gold's kind of transition. It's clinging to impure things, mm-hmm. both alchemically Right. Yeah, you could totally. Right. I mean, you could totally do the green light, amber light, red light thing of dynamism, entropy, and, and, and stasis. Like gold, as the un- incorruptible thing, also maintains all things. You can see that very much as a the lachesis of those three, mm. of the the stasis, mm-hmm. of the weaver. Oh, see, really, what this is doing is just making me want to have more and more devotion to the three kings than I already have. <laughs> I was lucky to be gifted a lovely plate of them by a friend of ours, and that's the image I end up using for work with dead magicians mm, uh, mm-hmm. it's a nice focal point for them to congregate around Certainly. absolutely it's a it's very powerful in that way I, I think in looking at how we have talked about exploring all these things together of the three kings are following a star which is of course night so it, the moon governs the night and they are following it to find a solar king which is interesting this kind of unification of both of both of the calabashes if you will mm-hmm. and this idea that the path that is determined for them by the sun but is only revealed at night ties into to via so strongly mm-hmm. of being a lunar oriented sign yeah. primacy that the path direct is revealed mm-hmm. that everything is, is is focused as well if we take via the geomantic figure it's four single dotted now so each of the lines on a geomatic figure is is elemental they do fire air water earth in all of the european geomancy treatises based on the heaviness of the elements right 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 i think the 
idea of understanding single dot as active and two dots as passive is a little too... I don't quite see that being evidenced in the primary sources. That's not to say it's not a really useful way of addressing it, but it seems to me to be a kind of uh, literacy that's ported in from the Yu Ching type stuff. What I would say is there does seem to be a sense that there is a focus versus a dissipation of some kind. Maybe dissipation is the wrong word. An increasing instability mm-hmm. versus uh, uh, an increasing coherence mm-hmm. or stability. To the point of like expansion, contraction, Jupiter, Saturnine, or...? Yeah, it depends. I mean, it's great to start with Via because Populus is the figure that seems to be have the widest distribution. On the one hand, it's uh, everything. It's too crowded. It's all mm-hmm. the signs like in two dots. You can see it as there is no more space for dots. It's sardines. It's it's packed. But it can also mean everything is dissipating. Uh, everything is pushing outwards. Uh, the moon there's, moves no, populous. There's, there's nothing in the center. It's another moon yeah, sign. Exactly. There so, we go. <laughs> but right. the moon itself going from full light to full darkness is a natural ruler of those right, right, right. things. I am continually excited to meditate upon Via's role and Populus's role and the, the corresponding Odu with Inifa and, and Orisha divination without comparing them necessarily for the sake of one informing the other, but comparative. There's much contrast as attempting to... Yes, compare and contrast. Like, let's go yeah, back to yeah. grade school and like, look at this paragraph and look further. There's a lot of interesting things there. And certainly we can get into the, the history of the Ifa markings specifically as describing things that may have existed in West African thought before the overlay of, of Islamic sand-cutting yeah. mm-hmm. signs. But I was very curious for a long time with the kind of examples of Christianity and, and Islam. Of Christianity is very Michael-centric. Mm-hmm. Islam is Gabriel-centric. Both are associated with fire. That is not because they're angels. But light itself. That Gabriel's associated with the moon for the Western magician. And there's this interesting side of it that Islam is a culture that exists in the sands of the desert where traveling by night is actually a mainstay. Um, it's life-saving. Mm. And having this guiding light of the moon or the stars that that show you how to navigate this mm-hmm. sea of horrifically shifting sand, mm-hmm. it starts to make sense that the okay the oasis the idea of these of even Semitic demonology being what it is and using Semitic as something meaning both Arabic and, and Jewish ancestry here, but the, the idea of oases and um, different oases being ruled by different things and now you're in a different territory and mm-hmm. that oasis is something that we can go to but we don't necessarily know how to get there because you must know more mm-hmm. of the stars, the map must be revealed. Right, right. And in Europe, this idea of permanency of land and territory and conquering, conquering by burning, by doing these things, these ideas are very interesting to me and, and, and this primacy between solar and lunar which a lot of people have it's not it's a not original thought this is me thinking and researching and like oh people are proposing that <laughs> that that Eliza is a lunar deity and all these other things it's like, like, like whatever that's that's it's that's for the people to to argue about and 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 i'm more interested in the meditation on those things that the, the path that is revealed by the moon right. that opens up everything else there that through being able to look at the stars mm-hmm. that the that the moon's light is that that the light that guides, whereas mm-hmm. the sun's light is the light that blinds. Mm-hmm. We're talking about invisibility. Mm-hmm. And even though the moon hides, this concept of the moon owning something that is both full light and full darkness. If I borrow the more kind of Odoo interpretations of those points rather than active and passive, let's talk about points of light and points of darkness in these things. And that both are showing a dance between those energies that Ogbe in the east reflects Oyaku in the west. Mm. And, and this type of 
going back and forth between things, the rising light, the setting, the setting of the sun going, the rising in the underworld, no less, of, mm-hmm. of, of what that means, the sun at midnight, Noyakun is the, the mother of the spirit of death in many ways, and the father of life is, is Obey in the East. So via and populace having this constant interchange, the idea of a single person versus a crowd, right. the road versus... Now you're in the market, this marketplace of people that are right, just right, jumbling right. you around, and like. And is the is the moon full for populace, exactly. or is it blocked? Is it new? Because and then all that lunar, lunar mythology, especially in Europe, starts to get added on because what is the concept of moon? changes so much and this idea that it, it must be feminine versus not feminine versus mm-hmm. it, all these other things comes into play and you know revealing my my love of Iberian things the, the, the cultural references to moon and death being the same word in, in, in minority languages in Europe mm. the, the root word in Basque is, is just death and moon are the same word mm. the, does a person die or do they moon and the concept is the same so that you would know by context what someone's talking about the same way that horn and branch are the same word but there is a relationship between absence and that which will come again right. through the moon that, that if we have all points of light that by nature if it can invoke its opposite then it must be a lunar mm. nature and it, the order is so interesting because the, there are standard orders in, in Ifa depending on which but they're very similar mm. and geomantic orders do change Via is oh yeah massively and very much often still first mm. it is the the alif it is the sword point that, that says I think about it, yeah I mean <laughs> in terms of that you, you can do full and and new uh, f- attributed to via and populous in in a variety of ways that I've seen people get really good work out of doing same as you can do with rising and setting suns or rising and setting and at peak for the Fortunas but uh, I, I always think of the sickle moon the, the banana, the god's toenail uh, it's a Jack <laughs> yeah. Kerouac uh, uh-huh. haiku I think, the first cut through the night mm-hmm. feels very the silvery sharpness of the blade the, yeah. the, the utter kind of focus that has to be there. It's a sort of St. Michael but it's here's the sort of Gabriel if right. you want, mm-hmm. you know the, 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 the new moon and the, the dark moon are two different things in ancient parlance and here we combine them both in the new moon mm-hmm. but the idea that the dark moon is one thing and that first sliver of light whether it's three days, four days, six days old, mm. means something in different cultures that now we confirm the moon is actually growing again. Right. And this idea of that being the, the very symbol of, of Islam is, is its own yeah. interesting thing too. And the notion of it being a sickle and it's those, those agricultural uh, connotations does a lot for me as well in terms of grasping plants when they're at, when they're at the point of most resolve, climbing out of their, their nadir. Mm-hmm. You know, climbing out of the, the point of most darkness. The Spanish kind of colloquialism of the crescent moon is a slingshot. There will be more falling stars mm. during the crescent moon mm. because the stars are coming through it, which in play in turn plays off the, the sublunary idea that, that, that the moon being the closest thing to Earth is the gateway to all other things. Right. And that, you know, rather than, like even in looking at the Behenny and and the, those stars that some people are waiting for the conjunction of a, of a like planet sympathetic in its nature to that star mm-hmm. and other people are waiting for the moon to be in conjunction with that star because the moon is the great vaginus of the skies right. and there's it is it is the way it is the opener mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, V is a very interesting form figure is it the open road or is it the only destiny you have is the other one and that's, yeah. that's interesting when it's saying yes and when it's saying no to particular questions. Yeah, sure, it can be used as I need a way, 
but it's also it's also that root tension of uh, of road opening and road blocking. Yeah. So we think of from our engagement with Hoodoo and African American conjure of speaking about well, if I need more opportunities, if I need to get out of a situation, if I need a thing done, I need more ways of getting a thing, and then I open the roads. The mm-hmm. roads are blocked to me at the moment, but now they're open, and I I receive more job offers or you know get out of the situation that I'm unhappy in. But the the way we engage in Kimbanda and calling in a spirit called roadblocker mm-hmm. to to remove all the roads that aren't useful to us mm-hmm. to to funnel us down to what's what's best for us exactly and what's best that we choose rather than necessarily abnegating our responsibility for someone else open to the doors that need to open shut the doors that need to be shut right 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 and that's that's the weird thing with via is on the one hand yes it's it's utterly will open a door but it will open a door <laughs> the door but well, i think it's interesting too because more than any other figure it invokes its opposite mm. And and populist, I would say, obviously, there's a reciprocality there. So more than any other pair of figures, let me clarify. Mm -hmm. And and, and certainly that is reflected, okay, in the Odu relationship, too, that if Ogbe is the tightrope of destiny, that there is this thing there, it's it's the razor's edge of the bridge, that it is so easy to fall off of it, and it requires tremendous discipline. It requires a, a rigor to stick to it, to manifest that thing, even when it's in... A positive manifestation hmm. it can cause separation so quickly because it's easy to fall off the tightrope it's a different ideal it's the light at the end of the tunnel but it, is that a damning light is that a train or is <laughs> it an escape train, right, right. um and yeah. it, there's this side of it with that that is so fascinating and if if, if ogbe which is one of the primary think of it as, as a primary obatala odu of, of king of the white cloth but white cloth is easily stained that the minute you have this brilliant whiteness <laughs> the palm oil of the trickster comes through and it's no longer perfectly white anymore and it is the phallus that permeates the hymen it is all these things that take away what something was hmm. and it's a movement away from something as well which is always we think about the destination but like the movement away hmm. is is fascinating to me with with even the relationships between via and ogbe and this again to to study and contrast and compare not necessarily to inform either but you know, the more we look at the kind of early modern and actual textual support for what's coming through in geomantic figures, it is extremely in line with the Faramo, the, the Arabic definitions of the same things, and even has much more overlap with Odu than would be there at first guess, mm. which is fascinating. Yeah. And again, this, this first primacy and the moon. And starting with the moon is also very interesting in terms of sublunary works, works of a more chthonic focus mm-hmm. that we that we start the week on Monday. This is one of the things in Jake's new work in, in Pandemonium that we ended up chatting about. One time I went over with a chalkboard uh, in front of us because that's how we party. <laughs> where you're going through, where does the week start? Does the week start on, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, mm-hmm. as in as in the Heptameron and the the works of planetary angel magic in spite of the fact that most of them are planets uh, are, are spirits of the air of a day mm-hmm. um, which is interesting in itself or do you start on Monday uh, you know with the the souls returning certainly if we look at the the grimoric and the chthonic underpinnings and I don't want to say anti-emanationist but a bunch of ideas parallel to emanationist models where does the, the week start in the grimoire of uh, Honoris it starts on Monday mm-hmm. it starts with the trinitas of the which looks a lot like the three chiefs, uh, and certainly it's also Lucifer. 
and the three magi. Sorry, right. go on. Well, there we have another set of, yeah, yeah. three very important authorities. Three stars of Orion's belt, which are also the three kings and all these other things. Right, 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 right. So when you start on Mondays, you do, I'm not going to go through the whole week, but you, 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 you run through the sublunary stuff. You do the the four days that you can do to various directions and elements and other ways of like cardinaling the four of the cross of the horizontal and the vertical of manifestation or or, or a bunch of other stuff. Then you get the the, the nitty gritty of getting into the the weekend of the the Saturnine Earth and the if we keep going down mm-hmm. the infernal sun the or the, the the sun at midnight or Pluto as a as a sun itself, so mm-hmm. this this inversion, and then through that, and through all those catabasis mysteries, and mm-hmm. a variety of other kinds of takes on mm-hmm. rebirth, you're, you're back to the moon, so the sun, the sun leads to back to the moon, but the sun, the infernal flame of that which innovates life from there, flips us out, almost portaling us back to raining down from mm-hmm. the moon again, mm-hmm. and that idea of the soul's like the, the various metempsychosis models of returning from the moon. Yeah, the, it's, it, it invokes a couple of things, even just the thought of the sword's edge of, of, of the tightrope that we have to walk with, with Via, but the moon itself being the great, in some translations from the Spanish, would be sieve, I suppose, mm. that catches the souls while it's, while it's waxing. Mm-hmm. And then when it's at full light, the souls, that's your time to say goodbye, mm-hmm. and then it disperses the souls to the other world, to the mm-hmm. world of darkness, mm-hmm. as it goes into the world of darkness itself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the popular descriptions of the, 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 the moon is the left eye of God and the sun is the right eye of God, right. especially in Iberian custom, that these things are happening in this way. And it's also because a lot of non-Indo-European mythology, they are both... And even a lot of European, but the idea that they are both female is is a, is a very old belief that the male the male idea comes, and just even the ideas of, of the kind of uh, gun germs and steel looking of mythology that too, if you live in the frozen north, that the sun is a life giver because it's warm and it's really cold all the time, and the moon must be male and therefore a god of death. Mm-hmm. And in the south, when you have more fertile Mediterranean climates, while well, the sun is a little more oppressive, we like it, but it's it's this more Apollonian nature, and that, that the moon becomes this kind of different female form, and it's it's that type of what suits your value centers in your society and what your ideas of male and female and masculine and feminine are right, and right, right. different things. But um, this idea, there's something else. There's, oh, the horns, right? Mm-hmm. So primacy with Baal, because I, I, I do associate Baal with crescent moon. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the halo of the sun or the halo of the full moon that we associate with saints, mm-hmm. light itself, but horned deities, the crescent moon, the, the first thing knowable after darkness, mm-hmm. the, the new moon coming in, the thing that gives us a guide in the darkness, which daemonos, mm-hmm. becoming in of the guide, mm-hmm. not just demon, evil, but what guides us through the darkness, right. the horns, the mm-hmm. horns of the moon, these things that become affixed to it. In Indeed, the the, the, the allegory many times of uh, Venus gaining horns makes her Mercury in the symbols itself, which is an interesting androgyny play for, for Mercury there, too. Right. The beauty of Venus under the under the new moon with horns suddenly becomes a very symbol of, of Mercury itself. Right, that which collects uh, rather than washes over. And even steals. <laughs> the, the thieving way. Right, 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 right. right. Um, very mercurial. Uh, it's nice that we get Nice. <laughs> it's nice. It's, it's nice. nice that we get demons who are both present. solar and lunar. Yes. But we have, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is worth people looking at if they're interested in it or feel, you know, called to, to bail. Not that I'm making any recommendations or 
proscriptions or prescriptions even. Sign the pact. <laughs> well, that's Put your it. hand inside the box. Put your hand inside the box. Is uh, <laughs> yes, first gene reference, first explicit gene reference. Is um, is that there? Is, along with looking at Baal, the Canaanite deity, there's also Boel, uh, lunar spirit, angel, fella, that keeps cropping up as well. And again, when we end up looking at, say, the Officers of the Spirits, the Book of the Officers of Spirits, we do find an example of Boab or Boal, who isn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily look like the Baal we're used to, doesn't have the same heraldry, but has certain qualities that I have noticed. When we talk about how they might appear very differently, but there is a core of their kind of like modus operandi of the kind of feeling of them that feels similar you can have a conversation about this is my take on this ancient very you know usually very very old devil or demon there are also incidental details that don't seem don't seem particularly relevant necessarily but are part of the phenomenology of the thing mm-hmm. a particular way of being a particular thing that they look like and i think it's worth people looking at, at boel because there's there's some parts of that heraldry that accord with my experiences with Bale and with everyone else I've ever spoken well, to. It's interesting too, just because the vowel shift-wise, Bowel and Bale are uh, Baal is there is a, a, a shift that is easily recognizable that it can be also influenced. Of course, there has to be a relationship or an investigation that must mm-hmm. be done, and and the context of how those things come. And you know, I always wonder about these things of like, okay, if you call Bowel in in the context of the system that is being worked there as opposed to bail in the 72 let's say mm-hmm. even the same spirit will appear in different ways right. when when invoked in different ways one of boal's um, powers is even to uh, transpose gold and silver <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so that that's yeah i find that fascinating and i think that's 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 hinting at something um, pretty significant. Uh, the other, the other thing I think to bear in mind, when, if we're circling back to Bale and talking about the luminaries, is that we have evidence. We go to whichever essay it is in Claire Fanger's Conjuring Spirits of uh, image magic being done expressly with with Bale, and it seems with some of the other kings as well. I mean, if we we go through that record, Bale has what looks like a, a reference to the the, the head. The animated head, which sounds like a some sort of image to me, mm-hmm. and so if we're talking about the luminaries of the left and the right eye of God, we're mm-hmm. talking about that which looks like, how to look like, I think, oh, in the sense the, of how. Ha- oh, yeah. see, then you play on the Trinity of looking itself, which is one of my favorite things that, that, that in uh, Iberian uh, numerology, uh, older, you're going to look at image and the relationship to three itself. Hmm. That an image, it, by its nature, is a Trinity. It reveals that which was its intended reference. It reveals the material of its making itself and it reveals the looker that, that imposes and tries to interpret those t- layer removed. So, you know, a picture of your mother is still a picture. Mm-hmm. It is not your mother, but it references your mother and then there is you that looks at it and puts the different relationships and the relationships of all three must be taken into account. The adeptness of which that image can capture something has to be taken into account as to it does it do a good job of referencing the thing? Does it give enough information to the people that it's intended for or is it something that's meant for everybody to look into right. how is, figurative is it yeah. what cultural contexts are required for understanding that this references this when yeah when is something a pictogram when yes. is it an ideogram exactly and this and this, this, this variance between pictogram and ideogram is 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 versus even just logogram is 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 profound in the sense of 
you know, a picture of your mother is, is, is your mother. It, it looks like how you remember it, but a picture of love, what does that mean? And so if you're, if this is the thing of like not getting too lost in the concreteness and we have to think in the kind of the way that the dream world is, is that this world of, of the vision and what it means to imagine something, that there is a reality to that that is built upon, especially when we talk, which you've referred to many times in the, in the, in the early modern and, and pre-existent, but to, before that, the idea to imagine something is a very different reality right. than what we put upon it now. Mm-hmm. Now we dismiss those as things of fantasy, but to engage in a world of, it, mm-hmm. is the third eye, is, is second sight. Mm-hmm. I just gave it a whole other third sight. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> is second sight, is the third eye. And to despic- depict something that is abstract, we can't necessarily say it's like looking at the Willendorf Venus and being mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a goddess of love. Do we know that? We don't. We don't. We're going to project that upon it. Mm-hmm. Or, or a fertility goddess, let's say, is, right. the, is the interpretation. But we have no idea what it was. We just know it's a, it's a, a well-proportioned woman, mm-hmm. female figure. And similarly with other things, that if I show a couple making love, is it about the couple? Is it about the making love? Is it about them doing it in a specific space that could invoke like a, a Poseidon Medusa Athena response of like, is this desecration of a temple? Is this celebration of the amorous act? Is this the start of, is this showing the specific mother and father of a deity or a spirit or a saint that is like this, you know, what is this thing? Mm-hmm. And the context by which that is, is very difficult. You don't want to, um, people are going to hate me for it, but there's just, just the, I won't mention anything, just different anthropological thoughts of kind of the imposition of one's own agenda or the imposition of one's own context to understand something is is an invisible, horrible little monster. Oh, sure, sure, um, sure. And Prejudice to, is the other side of experience. Yeah, right. and it, it can be very much like, oh, you're imposing rigidity of correspondence charts mm. of magic that are, in, instead of inviting people to make their own correspondences based on their own imagery that they've seen in their lifetime, to then go, okay, well, these colors mean these things. No, no, they don't. <laughs> they are not universal. Archetypes are not universal. And if you think they are, then welcome to your domineering Columbusizing of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. But... It is a very hard mentality to get out of. So, you know, I look at something and I'm coming from my specific agenda and that's what it is. And I, I realize that and it's good to have people that you can fight against and be like, I don't see it that way at all. And you're like, okay, what's the thing in common here? Sure. Um, we're both getting images of this demon and when we come, it comes with fear. Mm-hmm. We're both afraid. It doesn't matter how it comes, there will always be fear tied to this one spirit mm-hmm. or there will always be tie- ideas of pride. And it's funny because then yeah, I've seen people argue the Lucifer principle or the, the idea of what Lucifer is, and the arguments just get more prideful. It's like, well, you're all tapping into something. Congratulations. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Who's dancing for who, though? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, you're, you're exhibiting something there. Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. I need more anger so I can gain clarity as opposed to just wonder and awe. <laughs> <laughs> make me angry. I'll make me angry. Sharpen the blade. Oh. <laughs> There's a few people we want to thank Sure, yeah. before we sign off. I'm sure, as I always end up doing, I cited some of Jake Stratton-Kent's work. I want to thank Jake for his continual friendship and crazy scholarship and, um, and being continue to be notorious <laughs> in various ways. <laughs> Similarly, I've had a lot of these discussions over the year, not only with Al, but with Nikolai the Matos Rieswold. And thank you, Nick, for constantly being a brother of the art a thousand times over. Uh, it would be remiss. I will personally thank Al's wife, Mallory, for loaning her husband um, for so many hours <laughs> to, to talk about these things. Uh, thank you to my godbrother, Demetrius, for uh, making me get off the train at the right point when I had fallen asleep <laughs> and for feeding us delicious things. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear listeners. 
uh, for bearing with us as we explore technologies new to us uh, in putting this together. Uh, I hope there aren't too many horrific pops or, or breaks or... Too many salivatic crisp consonants or <laughs> other things. But thank you for bearing with us. We hope to actually have music and things like this in the future, but mm-hmm. the first feel is to actually get this out there. So thank you, and uh, we welcome feedback, as long as it's nice. <laughs> or funny. Or funny. Yeah. You can be as mean as you want, as long as you're funny. Unless you're Julio. Unless you're Julio. No giffing. Don't give me, bro. At least in the end, we can say we've made ourselves laugh and have had a good time and have learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And thanks for that co-labor. Yeah. And companions on the path are rare. And it is a pleasure to walk this path with you. Oh. So. Thank you. All right. Again, please... Uh, visit www.radiofreegolgotha.com and you will see a transcript and annotated uh, notes and things like that to refer you to topics and books and concepts and spirits and demons and gods and everything in between that we have kind of touched on and invite you to contact us and and talk further. Um, We hope to invite a few of our good friends and colleagues into this massive tavern hole and we'll see where it goes. We will. It is the Feast of Epiphany that is the focus, and as such, I just wish to extend a a happy calendrical new year Mm -hmm. to everyone listening. Yeah. And continued growing of the light in this period of darkness, uh, whatever that means for you. It's great that the Three Kings means we get to talk about journeys, and we also get to talk about, you know, scratching things on... Uh, the top of your door or on your door the idea of coming home mm-hmm. of making a home and of going on an adventure Absolutely. of seeking something out all being the same and <laughs> turning towards the possibility of what something can become right following following a purpose um, acknowledging a purpose following a calling mm. and uh, oof, don't mean to make it sound like there's a calling to do this but it's certainly a desire yeah. and keep the conversation flowing and the tea in this case <laughs> flowing and we'll go from there. Yeah, thank you again for, for joining us on this, yeah. this ongoing thank experiment. Uh, wish you many epiphanies of your own. May your stars shine bright to guide you. And, and, uh, and, and may you not embarrass yourself in front of kings. May you not embarrass yourself of those who think themselves kings. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what uh, it's, yeah. something, something witty about uh, kneeling before the light and being humble when it is necessary and being prideful when it is well, of course, recognizing one's own light. Crowns go straight to people's heads. They do. May each of us wear our crowns well in humility and recognizing what our purpose is and what's, what trajectory we're on. Hmm. May your feet guide you well. May the path never betray you. And thanks. Talk to you soon. Take care. Witty, witty theme song. Witty theme song. For the father, nothing. For the father, nothing. <laughs>